So yeah, I believe uh, this is State of Play 19, because this has obviously been going a lot longer. But the last one did was... Um, was back in August, August the 15th. So some okay. of my memories of these games may be a little bit sketchy, especially <laughs> Manic Miner. So, <laughs> um, so I've got, uh, I've, we're doing this straight in the back of the Kino Kingdom, so we're full steam ahead, ready to rock. I do have about 22 games to cover, but I've put the Halloween-themed ones first, and then if we run out of time, obviously just carry over for the next time, really. Okay, Dick. So, uh, yeah. unusually, I won't do a list of what I'm going to go through because it just depends on how far we get, quite frankly. Okay. Yeah. Two, three, four. I see. I've got about six or seven oh. to go through, but I can go through some of them in a bit of detail. So, yeah. Are they all, are they all Spectrum exclusives? Well, obviously, yes. <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> Only well, dealing cassettes. <laughs> Demagnetized cassettes. Um, I will. Bloody great I, band in there. Nothing went very good, actually, Rupert. It was just a one man and a Glockenspiel that was a flame. And he didn't have any hammers to touch it with. So it was just like distant, crackling flames on a stage. That was it. <laughs> and him gesturing towards the Glockenspiel. <laughs> um, okay. Um, well, I'll just go. This is in no particular order, so okay. I will say that a game that I played that could be a good Halloween <clears throat> themed one for everyone out there yes. is Made of Skur, right. which is a, a game set, a first person walking simulator. I dislike that term, but I will use it because I know that everyone knows what I'm talking about then. Um, set in a sort of rural Welsh countryside, and I am a sucker, although I'm not a patriotic man i love things set in wales like films and uh especially games so you play the part of the partner this is sort of you know around the turn of the sort of um, 19th century you play the partner of a, a woman called elizabeth and you're, you're rocking up on a train reading a letter just saying that she's had to go back to this this uh, hotel scare s-k-e-r uh mm. to sort of close off this fam- familial conundrum that's been going on and she just wants to sort of face her fears um, and the game starts with you arriving at the train the scare train station on the train obviously just in the middle of nowhere and then getting into the hotel and trying to find out what is going on the game is really pretty it's a really pretty um uh sort of realistic visuals so and it's very sort of languid in its pacing very sort of slow pace walking towards the hotel through the grounds and getting used to the controls which are all pretty basic um and the whole the audio the the sound design of the game is absolutely fantastic when you walk in there and and when you get into the hotel and things start getting a little bit kooky and creepy there's the, the creaking floorboards and doors slamming and it does this really clever thing where it mixes up um what is what what sort of uh, is uh, an ambient sound on the soundtrack and what is actually happening so there could be something nearby but then you kind of question it you're like oh was that the soundtrack what's happening mm. and it's a really nice clever mix um i really like the first half of the game when you're going to the hotel and it sort of sets itself out but then what actually happens is as you're going along collecting these pieces of a uh, this sort of um, what do they call those wax cylinders? But they're mm. bronze cylinders to put in this huge um, 
pipe organ, which is the main the main focus of of the game for reasons that the, you know it goes into. I liked all that exploration, but there's a mechanic where when you're being chased by the enemies in the game, you cannot defend yourself apart from with an object you get far into the game, and you have to hold your breath when they're nearby. Are you hiding and, under beds, by any chance? No, you're hiding in narrow corridors, which is even worse. So it, this is the the problem is I really like the first half of the game. It's only about five hours long anyway, five or six hours. But then and the puzzles and stuff that I could do at my own pace and really drink in the uh, ambience uh, uh, and atmosphere. But then when the game sort of says, right, this is now a stealth horror fully, and mm. you you have enemies in every room and you're constantly hiding. All it does is really take the pace out of the game mm. even further. So you're just like sat in corridors behind things, crouching, just holding your breath. So it goes and, from being a, a walking simulator to being a, a waiting simulator. Yes, that's the best way to put it. Weirdly, when I did my review for this for Games Freezer and sent it off, I then just, you know, I usually, after I do my reviews, I sometimes have a little goosey at other people just to see how it, they match up with mine. And uh, most people said the second half of the game was the far more interesting part. But for me, it was really tedious. Um, and I, I actually made a comment of this to um, Jonathan Bokes, who, who, who's a, a game designer based in Cornwall, and he agreed with me. He said, yeah, the game just completely loses steam in the second half. It just becomes really generic and tiresome, uh-huh. whereas the first part is actually like really, you can it's really scene setting. I know a lot of people don't like walking simulators, and I, I go through phases, uh, and this was one I played in a phase of enjoying it, and it's a very pretty game, but you have to have a lot of patience, and it does for me devolve into just tedious waiting stealth horror into a waiting simile mm. which i'll probably use again Rupert. yeah well i think that's probably how i feel about most of these survival this particular breed of survival horror like you know because i absolutely loved alien isolation up to the point where the alien gets involved <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah absolutely it's just yeah. so atmospheric so gorgeous so well observed and then uh, yeah same with outlast same thing yeah until other people get involved or monsters like when i was walking through like really nice sort of creepy gardens and seeing flashes of light and and a dog like barking and then dashing off into the woods i was like oh this is quite cool when i go to a gramophone and then turn on the gramophone, which acts as the save system in the game, and then some crackly Welsh voice, oh, oh, come over here, child, oh, oh, bugger, 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 Anthony Hopkins, Anthony Hopkins, oh, Lloyd, oh, Cajadrus, oh, what's his name, Tommy Cooper, brilliant. <laughs> and then, and then it's just sitting, holding my breath in, in, a, in a hallway, and I'm like, nah, I don't know, I like it when I was listening to people saying Welsh things. It's very difficult, isn't it, when it comes to these sorts of grounded kind of um horror games because on one hand i don't like the kind of hiding cupboards holding your breath type stuff because it's boring but then on the other hand you've got something like say the the stuff that bloober team are making you know the like layers of fear observation yeah and uh, or is it Observer? Which one's Observation? Which one's Observer? Oh, God, yeah. Observation is the one that's Space Station. Yeah. Right. Observer is the one with Rick Howard. God bless his soul. Um, layers of Fear. Like, in that, it it does maintain the kind of atmosphere and it just being about creepy stuff happening. But then, by the end of it, I was thinking there isn't really any threat because it is just scary things and loud noises and stuff falling off shelves and stuff. So it's like, oh, now I get why they add enemies. But then... But then if the enemies, if 
if defeating the enemies is just a case of avoiding them, then I'm not sure I like that either. So I'm not really sure the answer is really. I think I just like action horror games. I think uh, where for I me, actually I, get to I, kill stuff. I would. I'm going to mention this in something a bit later on in a game called The Suicide of Rachel Foster. For me, I think if we with walking simulators, I think I prefer it when there's no threat. I think when if as long but it ha- has to be incredibly atmospheric. It has to really yeah, yeah. make just drink in the sound design and the visual. And I can get lost in it then. Every time I see an enemy in any of these games, I sigh. I just think, oh, here we go, because it's just boring. They're not well implemented ever. Well, that I'm aware of anyway. Yep. Okay. That's disappointing, but atmospheric up to a point. Yeah. Okay. What else have you got on your Halloween list then? Oh, am I carrying on for a bit? Okay. Um, well, you, uh, you've probably got quite a few more than me, so it's probably <laughs> best you crack on with a few. Okay, I'll do a few more. So the next one I played was a game called Mortal Shell, which was, it's a, it's a very doomy, gothic, uh, medievally fantastical sort of, uh, with perfect fit for Halloween, really. Um, could sort of be described as a, as a Dark Souls clone, which is fine, but I just find it much more accessible than that series is. Um and it probably doesn't have such an irritating fan base. What? Uh, so it's Mortal Shell is you play a, a sort of wandering spirit who takes over husks of corpses or shells, if you will, uh, of there are, there are, I think there's four in the game and you can choose between them. And the co- it's just one of those really dark, miserable, weighty, slow, heavy combat, really satisfying combat um, as you make your way through these dismal castles and swamps and caverns. Uh, piecing together this really fragmented dark narrative. It's my um, stake then. <laughs> please, Ruben, as a Welsh one I've offended. It's actually Mardi. Um, so it, it's it's a really interesting game where it is it is very similar to Dark Souls, but in its sort of brevity, it's I think it's 15 hours. I say 15 hours. If you know what you're doing, it's 15 hours. For me, it's one of those games I will happily admit I will never complete because I will not have the patience to get past the bosses. But I loved playing it. It is the closest I've come to loving um, a sort of Souls-esque game. And okay. it's got this r- really neat mechanic where you can <clears throat> harden and you, you sort of turn into a stone and you can def- and one attack will be deflected off you. And then if you're in the middle of an animation say where you attack, <laughs> when they if they hit you and you harden um you as you come out of the attack you'll carry on your original attack so it kind of flows into like a counter attack and mm. it's really addictive to do and that one neat addition along with the ability to sort of leap out of your husk uh to sort of so you're you're two targets although you can be killed in like one or two hits then it it, it adds a really nice layer of um of strategy to the combat mm. and there are moments in it when i'm when you walk around a corner and you see someone massive coming towards you or like three kind of goblins one with a crossbow you you get a proper okay okay i think i've got this i know i can take and, and i was really in it the sound design is cavernous kicking open a chest in that game is like firing a double barrel shotgun in a wind tunnel it is like it's this massive boom like boom and i was like brilliant and it's also got a really dark sense of humor in it um for example one of the ways you can um you've got obviously a lot of items you can use to boost certain things and they're very scarce but one of the ways you can kind of entice enemies towards you if you want to get yourself in a little bit of a certain situation with the combat you just play a loot and you just play this like really jaunty tune on the loot to bring them towards you and it's just it's really it's really incongruous with the really dark surroundings um 
Yeah, it's it's and it's it's quite it's quite nice. The the, the narrative is isn't as uh, sort of obscure and obtuse as in Dark Souls. Like that, you right. can follow threads. So yeah, it's not a game that's going to turn on anyone to the genre because it is still very much a Dark Souls game. But it's it's more accessible in the vein of say the Surge, too. <laughs> Uh, where you can actually, even if you're not a big fan, and you know you've, I'm not, I haven't got the skill level to probably, or the patience to get, or ability to get through these games. You can have a good 10, 10 hours of fun. You know, is what is the punishment for dying? Um, oh, your hard drive deletes on the PS4. Bloody hell! Yeah. It is hardcore, isn't it? Yeah. No. Um, when you when you die, you are put back to, uh, what is it? Uh, when you die, you get set back to checkpoints. Okay. Um, but there, there is sort of multiple paths you can take. So there, there is a small element of, okay, I got my ass kicked up there. Okay. I need to explore over here a little bit and maybe get a few more healing potions and then, and then have another crack at it. Right. But it is, it is extremely satisfying when you, when you make it through like a, you know, a fight that you don't think yeah. you can. Everything you have to really balance out your, your what you've got with uh, how far you go. You pray for the next checkpoint in that game. <laughs> it will, it, yeah, it will get to the point where the punishment. For dying one of these games is going to be it does it deletes your hard drive it resets your console to factory settings and actually a courier comes around to take your your console away to part exchange it at cex and they make you watch all the seasons of cagney and lacy with a volume at max yeah. yeah um right yeah still yeah i don't know i'm still not sure about these dark souls games these uh, sorry souls likes yeah we have had this conversation before and i think that i i don't think i'll ever finish one i will enjoy playing them and but i will never get beyond say 30 to 40 percent of the game because i just i just don't have the patience yeah. to just constantly die and relearn and obviously that's a lot of that is the appeal well primarily the appeal but mm. i think one day um much like the search for the good don drag don the dragon wilson film there'll be a game that's really heavy duty and they'll just say, oh, by the way, you can just do this and have like three lives instead of one. And I'll be like, oh, right, okay, I'll give it a crack now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, see what happens. Okay, we'll see about that. What, what, um, sorry, what are the, Made of Skur, is it, and uh, Mortal, Mortal Shell, what are they on? They're on, uh, well, I played them both on PS4 and they're both available okay. on PC as well. Okay. Uh, I'll talk about Val Faris then on nice. Switch. Well, Faris. Faris. Rolf Harris. <laughs> this is by the same guys who made um, Slime. Can you, can you tell what it is yet? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like a like a Doom Metal side-scrolling shooter. Yes. <laughs> I didn't get... <laughs> I didn't get along with Slain Back From Hell, but that's fine. I did get along with this, so it's it's like a real... Yeah, like you say, classical run-and-gun shooter. Crucially, it is linear. Good. Um, it kind of harks back to the likes of, I suppose, Turrican. God, that's going back a bit, isn't it? I'm sure there's other games I could compare it to, but... Um, <laughs> um, with it, like, in the way that it's got a bit of light exploration and lots of power-ups. Yeah, the graphics are sort of a combination of detailed yet chunky pixel art uh although the characters appear to be kind of digitized in a rise of the robot style so it's quite retro looking but perhaps more 32 bit than 16 um 
but yeah, it's got real. It's got this really heavy duty heavy metal theme. So it's really dark and grungy and aesthetic, and the music is just constant roaring guitar chords. Really um, chugging. I think it's Celt- is it Celtic Frost, the band. Oh, is it? The guitarist? I think. I wondered so. if it was. Yeah, it had to be a band, didn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> like when he gets a new weapon, your character he literally just plays air guitar, and like, <laughs> and his and his hair's gone, and it's just oh yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and like the weapons are called things like bringer of hate and envoy of destruction and things obviously you can upgrade your weapons by collecting blood metal these are kind of tokens dropped by the tougher enemies it, and you find them in secret areas i think just playing the game normally you'd find enough to power up at least one set of weapons you have three attacks you got so the regular range one you got melee attack and a special attack the regular um fired attack can be fired infinitely the special weapon is is more powerful uh and you can have some pretty cool effects in there like i of course obviously i use the double barrel shotgun for the entire game but you know you can get some pretty real man ribbon exactly um but the specials need power um, and in order to replenish power, you need to use melee, which is quite powerful, but risky, obviously. So there's quite a cool kind of attack triangle there. Um, you also have a shield and you have to time it just right in order to get a parry um, to obviously like bounce off attacks coming in. Uh, and this is very important because by the end, you literally need to do that constantly, basically. <laughs> Uh, so you do have to get used to that but that's okay the controls are very responsive and there isn't really much in the way of complex platforming it's really all about the the combat it's just finding the right weapon and getting the right position um and i really i love this game and it it is hardcore in its challenge i would say but not punishing in its uh failure if you see what i mean like the checkpoints are pretty frequent and you always get one just before a boss and you lose nothing for dying, basically, apart from time. And I, I just love the kind of gameplay loop that every time you meet a new enemy, you you get your ass kicked, go back a few seconds sort of thing, and you learn their attack patterns, which tend to be very simple. They might be very powerful, but they are very simple. So you can work out a way to defeat them. And it, it's, it, sounds, it sounds simple, but, you know, often... When you get like, especially bosses in video games can be a, a bit annoyingly overcomplicated and they end up being a memory test. And I, I like that Valfaris tends to keep things simple and it's just like, right, okay, here is this attack. Here is the pattern of this attack. Now you just got to use your skill. It's always a test of your reactions and your skill in order to overcome it. The final boss, goodness gracious me, that took a few goes. Uh, I it was one of those things where I thought, well, I'm enjoying the game so much up to this point, and I am enjoying fighting this boss, but I got the feeling that it was going to be a case of like I'm just going to have to try like every day, just like boot it up for ten minutes or something, give it a give it a few goes, and just try again the next day. But actually, to be fair, I did manage to do it. You, you know, you get a little bit further each time, and yeah and i managed to finish it which is cool 
the fact that it's nice. such a hardcore game and I yet I managed to finish it suggests that I must have really liked it. So Val Faris is highly recommended. Uh, yeah, because it, like I say, because you're not punished like excessively, the difficulty factor really isn't frustrating. Yeah, again, I, I remember playing it myself and it's instant. It's like you die and so boom, you're back within a couple yeah. of seconds and you're like, okay, I, I can do this. No, I really liked it as well. And I, I liked it, like you said, the weapons and, and the weight of it. I love the introduction sequence, how he just lands his ship. He basically just slams it into a planet and runs a lot of people over and then just jumps out and starts shooting everyone in the face. I thought, pay play. And the, <laughs> um, the I love games, although I'm not a big fan of Doom Metal myself, I love games where they're really like enormous just chugging guitars instrumental soundtrack where it's just everything is just boom 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 when you think good good i'm ready to shoot this gun made it out does of bones. Get, yeah it's not music i would ever listen to just for pleasure but with a game like that it just really gets the blood pumping yeah really good yeah game. very good um something a little bit twee from me then with halloween 86 this is a a, a game from mega cat studios that is available they they specialize in making games for certain platforms so they'll release a game on like this for example released on the nes and then they'll release it on steam as well or on switch you know just a, a not on a physical cartridge like the original thing i've got a couple of games by them like coffee crisis on mega drive and on steam so this is a this is a game that's very much a side scrolling platformer where you play a boy and a girl on Halloween night in 1986, as the title suggests, and it's very much just scrolling left to right, jumping on enemies, some tough platforming sections, and it's exactly how you'd imagine an NES game at the time. It kind of feels like a bit of a a, a lost kind of um, light-hearted horror Halloween classic because yeah. it's not one of those games that you know they say that this is um, oh it's it's exactly like the you know like CrossCode for example might have 16-bit sprites but it's not something the SNES could ever run. <laughs> <laughs> at 60 fps so yeah this is very much a game that is locked into the actual architecture of the console it's based on so it's if the music is really blippy bloopy and it feels very uh genuine um, right uh, and it's a it's a very uh cheap game to buy it's because it's just um i think it's a few quid and it's if you like old sort of uh quite direct platform games from the 8-bit era then this is definitely one to grab it's also relatively forgiving because you've got like an energy bar and then you can flick between the characters i mean they both play identically pretty much but of course the other one acts as kind of a bonus life right yeah you can you know you can it it does ease off a little bit on that there was a problem i did have in some of the stages where the foreground and background are like especially in like the steward levels when you're like going on can i jump on that or can i not and quite often the answer is not so um so halloween 86 cool little uh budget title that is definitely worth a crack if you find some retro platforming action i yeah i have had my eye on that actually and i take it it's probably not a particularly long game no no is it designed like obviously i realize that it's kind of usp is that it um it's very much genuinely something that could run on a nez say okay but does that mean that in terms of its run time, running time, then it's, you know, similarly kind of quite small because games back then couldn't be particularly long because they didn't have the sufficient memory for that. No, it's so, a few, I'm try- I, again, this is one I played a few months ago, so I yeah. can't remember how long it is, but it's not, um, 
it's not like a multiple save, you know. It's yeah. very much linear, level to level, left to right. right. So yeah, it's a few hours max. And that's fine. I mean, if it's good enough, like Street Fighter Eight Four, takes a couple of hours, doesn't it? And it's amazing. Don't care. <laughs> um, do you want to check one in, or shall I just through do another one quickly? Yeah, crack on with another yeah. one. Um, this one is is a weird one. It's a game called Outbreak: The New Nightmare. Um, and this is made by a, this is released on PS4. It's actually released on I think all platforms now. Um, a one-man development team um, made in Unity, and it's a game that has such bold ambitions, but it's just completely hamstrung by obviously the budget and the size of the team on it. So it's effectively a sort of survival horror Resident Evil style game with with all of the fat stripped out. So what you're left with is uh, a fixed camera dark survival horror game where yes you have the similar menus to the Resident Evil games and multiple weapons but n- nothing feels tight uh, so you know the, the the menu screen is clumsy the camera angles are mm. awful and really difficult the control scheme is baffling and the game is very one dimensional it's you know it, while it has puzzles like get the key to open this door there's none of that sort of schlocky charm that the original Resident Evil had. The people seem to forget, by the way, that it's just kind of camp and thing, and they seem to think it's yeah. always been dark. No, not at all. No, no. It's ridiculous. Um, the script, yeah. Yeah, the voice work in that game. But there's, ridiculous. There's, there's no voice work, but there are just a lot of things that remind you of the first Resident Evil, like the font. The way that right. when you turn it on, it says, Outbreak. But it's it's very much a game that I would imagine seeing on Steam and Early Access and not mm. in the PSN store ready to buy. Um, I have actually got another game from this developer sent to me for review called Outbreak. Um, I think it's called Epidemic. And I do want, it's, it's not a game I'd recommend, but it's a valiant effort for one man, you know, fair play releasing these things across multiple mm. platforms. It's just a very limited basic game. It also has split screen co-op multiplayer. Um, mm-hmm. But the frame rate does not like it. The frame rate says two of you, is it? Um, so it's unless you're a real ardent fan of flawed early PS1 era survival horror, it is mm. a t- tough one to recommend. It sounds like a labor of love, but the guy's really up re- five of these. Yeah, honestly, yeah. he is key and that is his jam. But yeah, he hasn't found the formula yet. Let's put it that way. Mm. It, yeah, sounds like more about nostalgia than. Anything else? Riding on nostalgia, shall we say? Mm. Nostalgia, of course, the name of my horse. <laughs> Fond memories of him. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, I'll check it over to you for a bit. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll I can quickly go through Action Hank, which, frankly, everyone should play. Uh, I played this on Steam originally. I think I probably picked it up in a bundle or a very cheap sale or something. Um, but it's also on PS Now, PlayStation Now. Um, so, yeah, it's called Action Hank. And it's sort of an, sort of an auto runner. Uh, kind of. Um, you play this pudgy dude who is running along tracks crafted in a child's bedroom. So you've got these tracks and they're held up by like piles of books and stuff like that. So you're, you're a miniature basically. And yeah, piles of books are toys everywhere and stuff. So you're pegging it along this track. Um, and you basically 
like an auto runner, although you can speed up, slow down and stuff, um, you you have to jump over obstacles, slide, butt slide under obstacles. Use your you can use your slide to pick up speed down ramps to get you know more height. Uh, and yeah, it's all about momentum basically. And it's yeah, very slick in that way. And the only other thing that you do get later on is this kind of little toy sucker grappling hook thing, which is quite fun. Uh, you can use that to get across gaps and that. It's really fun and really replayable. Like it's such a it's such a quick blast kind of game because each level is maybe thirty seconds long and basically it's a single tap of like the O button will just reset the track instantly. So it's not so if you mess up just a, a little bit, even if you just like lose a bit of speed, you just like I'll oh, just go back to the start, try again. So it's really, really quick and replayable. Very fluid, 60 FPS, obviously. Track design is really cool. Uh, and obviously, aesthetic lo- looks really cool with the kind of, mm, like, obviously, you've got, like, it's a side-on view, uh, but it's quite quite a nice depth of field with kind of s- stuff, the bedroom out of focus in the background. You do get onto some more elaborate outdoorsy type places uh, later on as you kind of unlock new tracks. Um, and... Yeah, some of them, some of the tracks later on, they just look impossible. <laughs> You're like, what? But you know it is possible. And plus, you get this kind of ghost runner um, that you can use, so you can always get tips off the ghost runner. There are bronze, silver, and gold medals on each track, and which is good fun to collect. Obviously, as you get better, and you you collect medals in order to open up more track packs, basically. And at the end of each pack, there is a challenge level, which is where you're racing against another character. And if you beat them, then you unlock the that character to use as your kind of avatar. That sounds cool. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it. Yeah. It's just really neat, really tight, really addictive little arcade game. Really quick. You can just play it in r- really quick blasts, and it has local multiplayer. So. It is going to be one for a future gaming night, I'm sure. Oh, nice. Local multiplayer up to how many, sorry? Don't know. Uh, 20 or 30? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it would work. I'm not, you know, I haven't really looked into Especially with someone resetting the track. I'm guessing that it would not be, um, it wouldn't need to be split screen, I wouldn't have thought. It's probably going to be a Micro Machines type thing where someone gets far ahead, then you kind of... Get a point. Yeah, yeah, but if you're further ahead, then obviously you're at a disadvantage because it's like you can't see what's coming up, which could be really fun in itself. Is there? Um, um, where did where did you play this? This is on PlayStation Now. Uh, so, uh, but I've you know, it's, I think I got off Steam for a couple of quid or something. Yeah. It's just, yeah, and it, it, you know, it's not like a demanding game by any means. You, so. You've got PlayStation Now and the Game Pass. I got PlayStation Now. I think it might have run out now because I think I got it like a deal on 12 months. Oh, right. Okay. But to be honest, the thing is, once you've got Game Pass, you just, it's like I, there's not much on PlayStation now that you're ever really going to play instead. <laughs> you see what I mean? Because yeah. it's just not quite as good. Yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah, that was Action Hank. So, that is recommended. Pick it oh, up cheap. 
I look mm. forward to the next multiplayer night then for that. Definitely. If there's ever one ever again. If we're ever allowed to see other human beings again. I'm not even allowed to look at photos of people I haven't met. I just <laughs> I'm not even allowed to acknowledge the existence of human beings anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how you're, not even, you're not even allowed to look at a picture of your wife that I've drawn. It's just disgusting. Um <laughs> The next one is uh, it, it was a it was a weird one for, for a, a reason I'll go into. It says um, another walking simulator called the Suicide of Rachel Foster, and this was a game I got sent. Um, obviously, all of these get sent for me for through the Mighty Games Freezer hashtag just saying. And so this is a game where you play a woman, not Rachel Foster, uh, who has to revisit a hotel that your family owned, very much in the Overlook Hotel, The Shining sort of style, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, 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 a lodge in a in a sort of ski resort in the middle of the mountain, snow-covered mountains. Good. And the reason you're there, you don't want to go there, but the, your father's passed away and you're selling the hotel and you're just there for like a day just to see what to be done so you can let the insurance company know and then you skadoodle. But there's a huge storm, you get stuck there and you sort of end up... Uh, Going through some stuff that happened when you were a child, and uh, and it goes into why you initially moved away. This was a game that I I really liked uh, up to a point, up to a very specific mm. point, in fact. <laughs> um, so the the whole thing is there again, much like Made of Skur. This is the, the hotel is great, and I used to work in a hotel, so I quite liked the layout where you know you you're in the dining room but then you go out of a door turn left and then you can see the sort of where all the snaky staff corridors are how mm. you can move out of sight around everything and I, I was loving that the visuals are great and the voice work it's only really you and there's a someone you're talking to on a sort of satellite phone thing set i think in the 90s um that's sort of just just there as a, a just as a uh, what's the word? Just a just a shoulder to cry on kind of thing. Because you're stuck there by yourself. You talk to this guy who's a FEMA agent who's just kind of helping you along, making sure you don't go bonkers. And it's just a, a lot of really good uh, subtle narrative. And this woman trying to piece together her past as you wander around the hotel, going into rooms, and uh, you know there's lots of VHS tapes everywhere and old bloody you know <laughs> Atari consoles and stuff and the, ho- this, the the top floor of the hotel is in real disarray it really needs a lot of work it's all damp and there's like some of the roof missing and stuff and I really liked all that walking around and hearing some creepy sounds really tasty sound design absolutely loved it and and then what happens is it's again it's set in the chapters split into chapters mm-hmm. and it's only about five hours long and it gets to a point where there's a certain I don't want to spoil it but there's a certain narrative reveal and I was sort of thought, oh, okay, so now I assume that the narrative is going to go in, in this direction. And it kind of pushes this event aside and focuses on a much more sort of solipsistic view of the, of the narrator you're playing. Mm. And, and, and it kind of pushes aside this interesting and quite dark aspect of, of the plot to focus on a really generic point to give you a really sort of arbitrary binary ending choice. And mm. f- for me, I just thought, oh, that's lazy writing and very strange and didn't think much of it. But when I went online, people really took umbrage with it. And I kind of understand why, because if you're someone who, for example, it, it, it involves um, the sort of uh, manipulation of children and mm. uh, and mental illness. 
which I'm right. not a sufferer of. So I kind of thought that's just really lazy writing. Why did why is why is that just been pushed aside? Why is that normalized? But a lot of people online really attack this game for it and it does seem like a strange choice which is a shame because up to that point i really liked it as again it's a there's no enemies it's just you discovering and the, and the plot kind of coming together perfect kind of game for a bottle of wine you know you can just mm. do it in like one setting and, and you know there's no there's no rush it's just quite nice and then a little bit spooky and then it kind of goes off the rails at the end but it, it i can imagine for some people it'll really go off the rails and, and instead of Whereas it struck me as a little bit lazy, I think other people will find it deeply offensive. So it, it'll really split people down the middle, I think. In a good way, but or in a thoughtless no, way? In a, in a thoughtless way. Okay. It's hard to sort of say without giving it away, but then if I give it away, this, this, you know, the whole narrative, the lead-up is just ruined. Um, I'm guessing it's something which is quite tasteless in, on some level. Yes, like I said, it more focuses on like the the manipulation of children and mm. and uh, relationships that aren't ideal between adult and child, and and it's like, mm. uh, but yeah, and and yeah, I think, and, I, I think I'm catching your drift. Yeah, and then on top of that, it's it's just a really uh, slapdash painting of mental illness and how people deal or cope with it. Uh, yes. And I thought, nah, I don't think it's quite like that. So yes, if you're willing to, if you're willing to like give it a goosey and kind of just ignore the ending, wicked. But if if you're someone who will, you know, get really offended by that, possibly rightly so, then maybe give it a skip. Okay. Well, yeah, I wasn't that wasn't where I was expecting that review to go. I thought it was going to be like Major Scur again. It's like, oh, at some point, enemies come along. But and then, no. and then I'm holding my breath in a cupboard in a kitchenette. <laughs> yes. No, it's uh, it, no, it's not. It was just, it wasn't, it wasn't good. Uh, the thing is, though, if they could probably just patch in, like, just deal with the ending better, or, or mm. I, I'm intrigued to see where they're going to go for the next game because there's clearly some skill at the studio. Yeah. Um, you know, like it looks great, and I, it was like really scene setting and quite, quite slow pace. And I was I was completely on board, and then I thought, hang on, towards the end. So maybe they just need to give the writer a slap on the wrist. Um, um, yeah. Do you want to do you want to go through another one? Because I know you've got quite a few to get through. Yeah, this is my last horror one. Right. So this, and then the rest are just sort of standard reviews. So this was a game uh, that I've sent you pictures of and videos of, but this is a game called Lust from Beyond Scarlet, mm. and um, I. Out of all the games I've talked about today, this is very much the most Halloweenish. Um, okay. I I got sent uh, uh, at the studio. I forget what they're called now, but they sent me a game called Lust Lust for Beyond. I think it was called uh, years ago, about two or three years ago, and I played it. And it was a precursor, a sort of standalone introductory story to the full game, which I never played, not for any real reason. I just, you know, never got sent it, and it passed me by. And I remember at the time, this is Lust From Beyond Scarlet, and the original was Lust For Beyond. So Mm. Lust For Beyond, the one from a few years ago, I remember playing as an hour and a half long standalone introductory chapter and thinking, oh, this is all about a guy trying to find his missing wife and he goes to a party where everyone's wearing masks and it's all very tame. And it's like you're going through and it's all spooky, although, you know, the house is very pretty. And then at the end of it, you basically see a, a dildo on a table 
and you're like, no, nah, that's not as shocking as I think the game is. <laughs> to be. Like, that's fine. You know, like, it, it's not as... It reminded me of that scene in Hellraiser where Andrew Robertson says to that woman, oh, I'm going to... The line between pleasure and pain will be blurred. I'll see things that no human's ever supposed to endure. And then he just bums her. And you're like, okay. It's not... It doesn't really push me to the peak of my understanding of <laughs> of, of the pleasure and pain complexes. Um, So, yeah. It was a bit like that. So when this came out, I thought, oh, is it going to be the same thing? Like sort of paint itself as this really dark, gothic exploration of human fantasy and then actually just be someone getting their bum out in a greenhouse. And when I played Alan Titchmarsh in a greenhouse. (laughs) Alan Titchmarsh showing Charlie Dimmock a drawing (laughs) he's done by sellotaping like a pen to his dog's hand and making it making it dance in a circle by by like waving meat at it and it's like oh that's my that's a that's a representation of my bum it's not that <laughs> it's um, conceptualizing alan's bum <laughs> i think we've got the title for this episode haven't we <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah what we're lust from beyond so this this film this game coming up is called lust from beyond this is again an introductory episode to show you the gameplay mechanics and set the scene lust from beyond scarlet totally standalone and this starts with a you're going to love this rupert this is genuine mm. a kind of a, a, a lothario called alan obviously <laughs> who like is just completely uses women for sort of uh, sexual reasons arranging to meet a woman in an abandoned theater and the game starts it's sort of framed by you talking to a, a psychologist explaining what, what's happened over the recent days and the game starts with old sexy alan uh, dropping in to the toilet uh, section of this old theater which is full of like very culty sort of dressing and why would she agree to meet him there Did this she is him? the point when he's on the phone to her at the start, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, she's like, oh, I can't wait for you to see me follow a trail of my clothes and oh, we'll have some fun. And he's like, oh, I can't wait to show you my bum. He never at any point says, this is a cult and I am going to be murdered, <laughs> which which looking back was a mistake for him. Um so yeah, uh, so yeah, Alan uh, is in this, uh, this abandoned theater and the game is very much split into two halves. So, Although it's only an hour and a half long, the first half of it is just you working your way through the theatre, following the trail of this woman's clothes and collecting these dolls to put into this uh, sort of case that will, you know, open this door so you can see her and show your bum. And it's all very, we've seen it very much before. It's just walking around, picking up stuff, very pretty, very walking simulatory, no enemies. And then what happens in the second half of the game is you basically get bonked on the head, wake up chained in a dungeon. And they say that they are trying to get you to this uh, alternate reality called Lustgar. And the way they do it is kind of like the French film uh, Martyrs, where they, they basically push you to a sort of sexual climax that allows you to sort of transcend dimensions. So mm. they just check a copy of Penthouse that you would said, get to it and turn the lights off. And, um, yeah, and, and it, this is a game that doesn't shy away from sexually explicit imagery. And I can imagine a lot of people that play this will just think, oh, this is really lazy and cheap. It's just showing like a, you know these, these foul acts. But I actually quite liked it because of that, because it felt trashing, because unlike yeah. the previous game, it said, no, actually, we are just going to show you these full-on things. And I was like, well, good, because if I'm here to buy the game, that's kind of what I'm here for, you know, is that kind of really nasty right. 
sort of sex horror. And the, one of the first things you see in the last second half of the game, it, like people defecating on each other and rubbing it in their faces, right. and these weird contraptions, people like completely mutilated on torture wheels. And I was thinking, fair play, you know, they're not shying away. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, it, it's nothing... It's nothing we haven't seen before, but I've never played a game, this is on PC by the way, that mm. is so brazen in pushing like, no, this is about sex and horror. Wicked. Ag- Agony? Wasn't that? Yeah, okay. that was this I am coming to this room. Oh, right, <laughs> okay, okay. The problem is that whole side of the game, wicked. Seeing bonky things, wicked, basic gameplay, but again, all about the ambience, the atmosphere, and you know, a really basic narrative, wicked. When you travel to Lustgau, what happens is it turns into agony, <laughs> which is which is a bad thing, mm. listeners. So you've got all this like sexy, erotic, gothic horror stuff, and then all of a sudden it's you're naked in a really repetitive, boring maze with like okay, okay, the walls are made out of fannies, but still there's still repetitive, boring walls that I walk around a maze and I'm just getting attacked by enemies that I can barely defend myself from. Uh. And I, I, my interest level, it didn't just, it didn't just drop off. It disappeared into a memory of one of my ancestors. <laughs> I just thought, oh no, no, no. So my final takeaway from this is, I, I'm looking forward to playing Lust from Beyond, but I really hope they don't focus on those most tedious aspects, lazy, regurgitated assets, and awful combat. Mm-hmm. That that I I think it might. I hope it focuses on the other stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. So you didn't end up fighting a way through the Hall of Fannies. <laughs> um, I I I could see where it was going, and there was like a. a in Lustgar, when you finally get there's like a puzzle, we have to flick switches to move platforms around. Wicked. Don't see how that ties into you know this again the whole thing about this Hellraiser esque pleasure pain thing. But I'll do it. And then there was a bit where people were chasing me, and I just had to reach this orb, and it was a maze. And I just lucked it and thought, right, I hope that is that. I hope that is that. I can cope with two minutes of that. But if that makes mm. up the bulk of the actual game, if you've blown your load in this and the whole mm. game is boring, then yeah. So it's it's a dangerous uh, line that it's it's. A balancing act it's pulling off yeah okay so the full that game is when's that out then do we know i think it's 2021 i think it's coming okay. out uh, early next year yeah so these are just teasers really aren't they this was a yeah i think this was a backer only teaser that i got sent okay. all right okay so possibly keep an eye on that um yeah. all right let's i'll talk about ion fury which is on oh, switch oh nice okay so this, um, it was originally called Ion Maiden, which is quite a cool name. But of course, that was never going to happen because Iron Maiden didn't want that to happen. So yeah, I, really quickly, I thought that was ridiculous because Iron Maiden, yes, it's the name of a, a mm. metal band from the 80s, but also it's a torture device from medieval times. So it how is, can they is. have dibs on it? And really, it doesn't have anything to do with the band no. Oh, if, I don't know. It's actually, this is actually a prequel to a top-down game called Bombshell from 2016, uh, which by all accounts was awful. But <laughs> this isn't awful. So it's heavily inspired by the 
kind of 3D Realms games of the 90s, you know, like Duke Nukem Blood, Shadow Warrior, etc. You play a woman called, yes, Bombshell, who is, uh, she's defending the streets of Neo DC from basically rampaging cybernetic humans. And they're controlled by this tyrannical cult leader called Heskel. Um, so Bombshell is essentially, she's like a kind of non-misogynistic Duke Nukem, really. And she still says things like she pick up a shotgun and say, this is my boomstick and stuff. She still does that stuff. There's loads of in-jokes in the game. Like there's a, I saw a sign for Bennett's steam letting company, things Brilliant. like that. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. Loads of references to doom, Duke Nukem. There's even a reference to the room for God's sake. Um, so yeah, um, it uses a modified build engine. Uh, so it, it, successfully kind of transplants that classic gameplay from those aforementioned games into into the modern era so the the movement is really swift and loads of enemies destructible environments good um kind of real world environments sort of not really believable but real worldy and there are kind of arena moments and loads of secrets around the place so that's great it does also transplant some of the tedium from those older games, mostly around the occasionally confounding like level design. Yes. Um, which is very annoying. But We've both it, played Duke Nukem recently. Exactly. And it really affects the pacing of the game. So you have these really thrilling kind of firefights um, followed by minutes upon minutes of aimless wandering around trying to work out what what switch you've missed to open what door and it makes it quite stop start which is can be tedious but i don't think i ever looked up a guide so it can't have been that bad but annoying anyway i don't one other thing is that it it takes the controls don't feel right when you first start the game i thought they felt really weirdly sluggish it was like i could run around really fast so that plane was quick like actual movement, but turning was oddly sluggish. So I could run really fast, but turn turn around really slowly. I think it's probably just a general problem with stick controls. Generally, obviously you don't have the mouse at hand because it's on switch, but you can adjust the, um, that access, uh, the, the axis so that it, it's much more sensitive. So it feels much snappier. I like how the the levels in each chapter like flow into each other. You just get a kind of pause to save it to separate the levels, so it all flows into one. Oh, uh, nice! That's, that's yeah, nice so that's cool. Yeah, so overall, I think if you have fond memories of those three D realms games, but you do have hesitations about the complete lack of quality of life features that they they had, then this is a very good kind of update basically because it is basically very much in the duke nukem realm and it's fine it's completely unapologetic about that and yeah it's very enjoyable nice yeah i'm, I'm literally um as you as you as you were talking then i'm literally emailing the publisher to see if i can wangle a press code to cover this for games freezer because i forgot how much i like the look of that game and it completely yeah. escaped me so i'm just yeah. sent that email um yeah, it, it it sounds like. Is there any multiplayer aspect at all? I'm not sure. We might need to check on that. I think there could be. Um, that could be cool. Yeah, 
love to check but uh well yeah obviously i just played it in single player and i'm guessing it hasn't got any online element on switch anyway these because these lower budget the indie games tend not to have um online at launch anyway um, oh yeah of course yes because it costs so much to yeah. but I'll, I'll have a check and see if there is any kind of split screen cool let me know a split screen or oh. online stuff yeah yeah um well uh i, I was gonna say how many have you got to do now game wise uh how many let's have a look one two three four oh five left nice okay we'll carry on then just check and this isn't going to go for a million years um one of uh, one i'm gonna cover next then one I, I wanted to talk about with you for a while you know my feelings on this is wasteland 3 um i played this on the xbox and uh i have never ever been so perplexed by a game with... is it a smooth experience <sighs> no technical issues whatsoever it was as smooth as andrew divoff's face it was honestly it was like robert darvey just rubbing <laughs> his, his cheek against mine um uh, it was better mention robert darvey <laughs> <laughs> we, we always are um, it's also the tip of our tongue really isn't it <laughs> yeah uh it was when i was in school and like every like le- every lesson i was in in all the different subjects after the teacher would like do the opening statement say, okay any questions and i put my hand up and they'd say not about robert darvey and oh, down my hand would go <laughs> so um wasteland 3 obviously follows on wasteland was released in i think 89 and wasteland 2 was released by in exile is it in exile entertainment yeah. Uh, yeah, it's burned oh. into my mind that it's an XL Entertainment because of how many times I saw the logo after it crashed and I looked at it. Um, I'd had to reboot. So yeah, Wasteland 2, we played, and I played on the... I think I played that on Windows in 2014, and in 2018, you played it on Switch. And so anyone, anyone who is thinking as they're listening to this, oh, Brit, come on. It obviously came out and, you know, like was really broken on Xbox. Can't speak for other platforms. Why didn't you just wait, you silly Billy, until it was patched up? Because it probably won't be properly. Because I played it in 2014 and there were weird glitches like uh, Wasteland 2, this is, where items in the inventory were missing. There were sound glitches, like saves were being a bit wonky. Sometimes quests would crash. And then you played it on Switch and you said it was still problematic four years later. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was a combination of things. I mean, it, it looked, I think it was a, just a technical mess on Switch anyway, it's Wasteland 2. And it was, I, I found it horribly unplayable, got to say. But that was partly because it just seemed like a shoddy port to Switch. So, but it sounds like a lot of those issues might have been baked into it in the first place. In the engine, yeah. Because, mm. what I, so with Wasteland 3, which, uh, so the story is that you, you, you're in, um, Christ, I forgot where you are now. Uh, oh, God. Colorado, I think it is. So, did you see my sting again? Um, so you're in Astrid Gunlice, and <laughs> um, you're in Colorado, and you're you're there to sort of look for help for the ranger station back home. Uh, in oh, where is it? Uh, warm place, deserty, not Utah. Nevada? No, not Nevada. Maybe begins with an A. Arizona. Yes, to go back to Arizona. And you you just get slaughtered. Your entire team gets slaughtered when you turn up. And so the game then is based on you helping this this guy called the Patriarch, who runs 
the the the, the city uh, that he owns with a kind of an iron fist, and you put a team together and you know level up and do side missions and do very much what happened to Wasteland Two. The game is great. Like the the dialogue is great. The the use of music is there's this really nice thing where it it's mostly ambient music, uh, sort of ambient sounds. But then when you when you make a choice or when you're in a key battle where there's going to be a choice at the end of it, it'll play like a country song with actual lyrics or like certain things. And and it gives, it gives the scene this weird filmic weight. And it was a really nice touch. Like, you you're like when the music comes in, like properly soaring, you're like, Oh, this is a serious, big, big moment then. Yeah. Um, like that. The game is great. And I'm sure if I played it with no glitches, I would say, Oh, do you know what? This has been a real, real wonderful 40 hours that, you know, I'm really glad as it stands. It crashed every, I'd say, between every 45 minutes and hour and 15 minutes constantly through multiple patches up until I finished it. And it took me about 50 hours. And when it finished, I, I just uninstalled it because I was so broken by, by, by forcing and trudging my way through this fundamentally broken game with hard crashes. And not just crashes like, you know, you're walking around and then, and then it'll go and then boom crash out you're like i'll just load my save it'll crash after you've just spent 40 minutes doing like a turn-based battle so you'll have to do the entire thing again and there were moments when it rebooted and i had my head in my pillow my eyes squeezed shite tight shut just thinking oh just uninstall it brit just stop playing it and Faye would like rub my back and say can you play something else love something you enjoy because <laughs> like trying to trying to support you because it's clearly changing you as a person yeah and, and, and when and like i said i i forced my way through it but i don't i didn't enjoy it at all my entire experience was ruined because <laughs> i was i was constantly on edge waiting for it to crash and every time a fight went on more than five or ten minutes i was just thinking oh jesus i just want this to end so i can save it but before it crashes and oh it, i could have ruined it for myself that's so, a long time to play something which is so inherently broken Yes, it is. It shows my dedication to the genre, though. I, yeah. I did realize I was waiting for it for a long time, and I got excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, of course, okay, it started crashing, and it crashed once after like an hour, and then it crashed again after like two or three hours. By the time I thought, actually, I think this is a fundamental problem with the engine. Mm-hmm. I was four or five hours in, and I know if I stopped playing it, then I'd never come back to it. Yeah, the thing about Wasteland is that, I mean, Wasteland One was that was made in what the year 12 bc or something anyway so that's so old that i've no memory of it and then wasteland 2 was such a broken experience so dispiriting um it just put me off so and now you're saying that wasteland 3 is was utterly joyless because and just full of anxiety about constant system crashes i'm not sure i'm i'm not sure this is a series i'm going to get into at any point Anyway, I've pre-ordered Wasteland Four um, <laughs> on Amiga. It, it, yeah, it, it was a weird one because I wanted to love it so much, and I've been waiting for it for so long. And every time that the developers said, "Oh, we've released a patch that should stabilize it," and it just didn't, it either didn't fix the problem or threw up new ones. The Scorpatrons in it, the huge, like, sort of big, threatening monsters that are kind of a hallmark of the series. Every single time it was on my screen, I didn't hear any correct sounds every sound file for that enemy was totally glitched even when i wasn't even fighting them when i went past them on a map it was glitched and and like things would just not turn up my inventory i'd pick up guns and then i'd look at them a bit later and there would just be other items and i just thought what oh is going God. on 
This just seems so, really fundamental. So it's not just, you know, system crashes, but also just a, an array of small, irritating bugs as well. Absolutely, yeah. Many of which I vividly remember from the second game. When I looked at the, um, well, I must admit, right, I can't speak for the PS4 or the PC versions, but when I saw how high the reviews were, I thought, hmm, it's like game of the year, 95, 96%, 9 out of 10. I'm thinking, oh, come on, guys. This is a fundamentally broken game on this platform, surely. That's weird. Surely, yeah. I, I, and it, yeah. yeah. Unless they, yeah, probably played it on PS4 or something. But then why would that, does that mean that, why should, is this the Xbox version, I take it? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so why should that be uniquely broken? And, and, and apparently you can play it in co-op, online co-op, and apparently that's even worse. Where literally <laughs> it's like, it like deletes saves and stuff. Uh, and I thought, no, I'm not going down that road, because my brother said, oh, we can play that together. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I've, I've already got a gun in my mouth with two bullets I've stuffed into one chamber to make sure it gets the job done. I don't need you as well. Probably great so, it probably did. It did actually. Yeah. <laughs> Mind you, I, I made <laughs> probably the, have the opposite effect of what you wanted. <laughs> it was a gun I'd made myself out of my own oh, hair that I just put loads of lacquer on to make it hard, so it probably wouldn't have worked anyway, to be honest. Um, right. Brilliant. That's so. That's sad, isn't it? <laughs> it's a sad story. I'm going to tell my kids about it. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy, tell us about when you played Wasteland Three. <laughs> oh my God. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you about a disappointing game as well, then, if you want. That'd be nice. I feel like we're, we're, I feel like we're in AA. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll tell you a story about a game I didn't like. <laughs> well, this is the last poor one before the gold begins, so we're okay. So this is called Project Warlock, um, and it's on Switch. It's, it's kind of, well, very much, actually, Wolfenstein meets Heretic. As in Wolfenstein, the original Wolfenstein. It's so, the third Heretic game coming up, by the way. Is there really? Yeah. That is interesting. Hmm. It's intriguing. Does it look tasty? Um, I do like the concept. I love the idea of it just being really spooky and just having magic weapons constantly. Anyway, so in this, but this is very much like Wolfenstein-type single-plane movement um, with guns and obviously first person single plane movement with guns and magic elements um first things first just turn off the look around feature because you do not need it because you're on a single plane um so it has basically just themed levels uh theme chapters sort of thing we got sci-fi aztec ice um and various levels within that uh gameplay wise it's sort of hordes of monsters coming at you sometimes in a rather a serious sound kind of way i guess some shoot some bite all will activate instantly as soon as you go in a room so you generally take a hit as soon as you go in a room um the monsters do appear to be just reskinned across the chapters um the gameplay is pretty monot- monotonous to be honest so You'll enter a room, back out, and just shoot everything as it packs the doorway, really. That's what I found the best way it was. So you could walk in a room and then strafe them, I guess. But why do that when you can just take advantage of the poor AI, really? So you get bosses, and they are big and menacing. But that really is just a case of circle strafing and shooting at them. And they are bullet sponges. They really are. Um, 
the guns feel pretty meaty, although the hitboxes are all over the shop. Um, the level design ranges from okay to pretty poor. They're literally all just mazes with key cards. Your health goes from 100 to zero in nanoseconds. So <laughs> there are health packs everywhere. And to me, this just suggests a poor gameplay balance, really. Uh, I mean, the levels are at least quite short, so there's no kind of quick saves option and it's not really required. Thing is, so obviously it's pretty mediocre anyway as a just a really basic shooting game. But then on top of that, you've got this really arduous upgrade system between levels. You go to this like hub point, hub level after each chapter and you get you get various types of points. You, the same like experience points are used to upgrade weapons and spells. So you have to make a decision about whether to upgrade guns or spells. And clearly I just went for guns every time. But but then you get um, then you get separate experience points, um, which is used to upgrade health, upgrade health, mana, and also your melee ability, which you never use. And then there's a third set of upgrades, which is perks. So you've got three levels of like upgrades between them, and it's like it's such a basic game. Why am I bothering? Like, why it seems really elaborate and complex for such a basic game, and and then. And then there's a kind of just the smaller issues like you're in this hub world and to move to the next level, you don't just go through like a portal or something. You have to go over to this computer, log on, select the level, activate it to activate this doorway. The doorway opens up and then you go through and it's like, why not just have a doorway? Then Why do I have to log on to a computer, select the next chapter? It's ridiculous. The graphics are a bit too stylistically blocky for my tastes because they're obviously based on those very early FPSs. Um, and the sound design really isn't that great. There's no sense of space to hear monsters, but there's no sense of where they could be in relation to you, if you see what I mean. The music is terrible. Um, yeah, so overall, it's just a really quite poor first-person shooter basic person that gets dull very quickly this surprises me because you're the lead developer yeah <laughs> it's weird yeah i really i really didn't pull this one out of the bag did i <laughs> and what was that called sorry project warlock project it's on warlock. switch i think it's probably on steam as well oh by the way ion fury i don't think there is any multiplayer as it stands it looks like, from what I can see from general discussions, is that lots of people are asking where is the multiplayer, and apparently it is. They are working on it, but that was earlier this year, so I don't know what's going on there. Uh, yes. So that's Ion Fury, maybe getting co-op at some point. I'd hope uh, so. Project Warlock, don't bother. Um, so moving on from, uh, I, I see your Project Warlock, and I raise you Kandagawa Jet Girls. Uh, <laughs> Which is so Kandagawa Jet Girls is a game I got. I I keep getting sent these things from Marvelous Entertainment, and this is a weird one because it, the last game I reviewed by this company, I think it's Marvelous Entertainment. I'll have to check. Um, was I don't know if you remember a pinball game, uh, and it was a really like garishly like about girl sexy Japanese anime girls turning into cats, 
and you had to like bounce pimples off their boobs and stuff. And it was it was basically a load a load of just color and boobies that covered over a pretty average pinball game with very exploitable design features at 30 FPS. So I, I was like, eh, is this my thing? <laughs> um, but then Kandagawa Jekos came out and I, I I played it and it's a weird, very weird thing because it's got such intricate design features and yet it's just a boobies and wetsuits anime game, right? So the, the, the game is that each, the Kandagawa is the name of the, the initial school that you take over, that you're with, with these the two girls, the pair of girls. And they're in this sort of league against other schools. And it's all about jet ski races. And one of you has like a, like a water gun to shoot other, th- other uh, jet skis. And one of you rides. And well, like co-op. Uh, no, I think you can do online co-op, but uh-huh. it's, it's, it's such a bizarre design feature. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to break it down because it's, it's odd. Right, Israel. <laughs> so you've got you've got a jet ski which you can really highly customize, and you've got two girls, each of which you can really highly customize with a point to unlock. Obviously, like bikinis, bows in their hair, all that, all that stuff. Um, and then you've got the ten schools, and the, the schools are broken up into chapters for each story. So each story, and there's about ten or fifteen of them, each have like thirteen or fourteen chapters. This is really cavernous story mode that's not fully voice acted, but it is effectively the length of a visual novel. I played it for about three or four hours, and I did one and a half of the of the stories, and there were still like eight or nine more to go. Oh. And I'm thinking, this is a jet ski racer. Uh, so I'm playing <laughs> it right. And you're going through, and the and then sort of breaking even further, you, you're playing the jet ski section of the game, and there are mini games as well that you can use to get more points to to unlock stuff. So you the mini games are weirdly fun. Like there's one where you're obviously pushing your boobs out and giggling as you like wipe down your jet ski with like a cloth, just like cleaning it, and it's like a dancing rhythm game that is addictive. I was mm. playing it. I mastered that. I, I was getting like platinum <laughs> trophies and stuff. I was like, this is really, I wasn't looking at anything. I was just like, this is a really addictive button masher. There's another one where you've got to like mop, uh, mop uh, like a floor on a ship or something. And you, you, you like, it's like lanes. You have to go on the lanes and clean up all the stuff and you get points. All the mini games are fun. When it gets to the meat of the game, which is this really <laughs> weirdly heavy narrative driven uh, racer, it's fundamentally good. I just wish that like it didn't come all the baggage and stuff of, mm. of, of the narrative because the girls are constantly like talking at each other as the race goes on. But it's really it's really smooth. Uh, the the, the um, turning mechanics and the turbo mechanics and the jump mechanics and the stunts and stuff are all really fun. Mm. And it's crying out for local multiplayer. And it doesn't have it. No, it's all, it's only online. Is there an option just to play? the racing game part of it do you have to do do you have to get bogged down in the story i think you can do single races like randomly choose single races but Mm. i guess guess you unlock stuff and the way you you know you unlock different teams you can use in those races by doing the story mode um there's a weird thing that when you switch to the second player uh that it goes into this automated driving so you could just start the race switch to the gunner and then just automatically drive around the entire course as you just like face behind you with a gun uh and the game the game's oddly easy uh i had to put it on hard mode just have like some sort of challenge i'm by no means good at racing games 
it's odd because I thought this is like a weirdly enjoyable game that I feel like the focus is so much on these girls and this like labyrinthine story about how they're all they all still off hate each other and they all become friends, which is effectively the story for each chapter. Mm. But then, but then it's like, why don't they just say, okay, let's just not really bother with that and put more of the development time into like really refining this actually quite interesting jet ski racing game we've got. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a weird one because I enjoyed it much more than I thought, but. I just thought I feel dirty playing it because my TV. You can, if you look through my window, my living room window, you can see what I'm playing. And I just thought I feel like I'm just being a dirty middle-aged man, but I'm actually playing like a, a really fun racer. <laughs> so it's Kandagawa Jet Girls. It's if you like games like Wave Race and stuff, and I mean, there's not many water-based racing games, and I'm sure that there's. I hope there's like a really good online uh, sort of society for it because it is a solid game. I I just. I'd be intrigued to see a sequel, maybe, or or maybe even a game using the same engine that is just full of boobs and teenagers, and it was just more refined. But yeah, a fundamentally fun water racer. There isn't any kind of online multiplayer or anything like that. No, there is. I'm sure. I think there's online yes. multiplayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on PS4. That, I played this as well. How does that work then? Because I mean, if you, I suppose you can just do single races against each other. I think. Well, I had this as a obviously as a press review copy. So when I tried to go online. It was just locked off, so yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds intriguing. I do like a a good wave race type game. They're quite fun. I'm surprised there aren't more of them somehow because they're inherently enjoyable because they're like racing games, but you get the added kind of fun of the, you know, water effects and stuff like that. There seems like there could be a really good definitive game like that, which isn't there yet. Yeah, the thing is as well. Even if you split it into split screen and like one, if if they balance the mechanics out a bit more fully, because I I literally just didn't bother with the shooting because it was so easy to get ahead anyway. Yeah, I just didn't really need to fight anyone off. But yeah. um, if you did have it, so it was much more nuanced in the balancing. It'd be like one eight seven ride or die. One of you drives, one of you shoots, and it, it, like mm. there's the depth there to make both just as exciting as the other. But yeah, yeah. you're right. There needs to be a definitive jet ski yeah. racing game. There's no excuses, really. Um, how many more games have you got to? Uh, look, I, I, I'm happy to stop after the next one because I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve beyond that. But I'm happy to just dip those in as we go along to next. The well, next I've podcast. got like three or four left. So, um, I mean, if you wanna, if you wanna do another one now, then yeah, okay, yeah. I'll dive straight into um, uh, a game called We Were Here Together. Which I played with my brother Transval, a friend of the podcast. Um, I I kept my people. Have you heard about this game, by the way? It's part yeah. of a trilogy. So there's We Were Here, We Were Here Too, and We Were Here Together. This is the final, and I think it's like a an ongoing narrative that I had no idea of. I remember seeing this. I don't know which game it was in the trilogy, and thinking it's an online. You can, I think you can play it single player, mm. switching between the characters, but it's it's. The, fo- the way I played it, and the way I can only really discuss it and review it, is I played it online co-op. So I, I tried to get a code for this before, and I was unlucky, and then I managed to get one this time. I was really excited about this. So this is a game where it's set in an Arctic sort of research facility initially, and you play two characters um, with color-coded walkie-talkies. You're supposed to play with headsets on, so when you hold a button down, you can talk to the other person and vice versa to, for immersion reasons. But the way I play games with Transvaal is I just I just have my phone on WhatsApp on speaker anyway. So I, I you know I didn't really use that aspect of it. Um, 
so we're playing the game and it starts off you can sort of point at things and wave and it's all about solving these puzzles that have two aspects to all of them so you need the other person to be somewhere else talking to you to talk you through your section of it right so the it starts off it's got this like really lovely uh sea of thieves-esque um sort of caricaturish colorful vibrant color scheme you know like everything's rounded and nice and cartoony and uh, it's FPS, so you start off and it's getting getting valves, decoding a radio signal. One of you needs to be up on the roof of the cabin telling you what you need to do because the other person is downstairs unable to see that, adjusting the wave lines and stuff. All really cool stuff that kind of fits in with the narrative, which is your friends have gone missing and you're just trying to track out where they've gone. So you get the right. you get the signal to this uh, where they've disappeared in this in the mountains. You find the jet skis and see a flare outside uh, a mine shaft, and then there's like a really cool double-sided uh, puzzle where you've got these symbol-coded lift shafts that one moves another one on the other side of the mountain you can't see, so you have to constantly be in uh, conversation to sort that out. Really good, and the game goes on like this, and there are some really lovely, satisfying high watermarks. And it felt like a really unique gameplay and experience. It felt a little bit like the game that we still need to play, uh, that Mad Experiments. Escape oh, yeah. Room, yeah. Right, where you really have to work together, and it's really satisfying and really cerebral. And it, and it requires constant communication. Constant, yeah. Just yeah. trying to work it out. And it's so it was so much fun to do, because obviously there's no shooting, there's no enemies. You're just literally, it's just you and the puzzles, and you have to really yeah. work together. Um, then, And this is just my personal taste. What happens is, there's a there are definite dips in mm. in uh, in the puzzles. So for example, the first there's I think there's ten chapters and the first three or four are really fun, and then there's one in the middle that's like was a little bit tedious, but other people might might have liked it more than I did. And then the ending was quite weak. Like the very final puzzle was just tiresome and it felt a bit lazy. Mm. Um, but there were so many high watermarks leading up to it, and this game is mm. only eight quid. Uh, so you know you pay obviously have to get two copies, but it's a it's a nice nice nicely priced budget game. Yeah. Um, but there the, are caveats to this. There was a puzzle where we were doing this thing where I was in a room and I had sort of ingredients and potions that I had to put in a kind of minecart, pull a lever so it would go to the other side, and my brother Transval could do his bit and then pass them back to me. And the game lost connection for a second. Mm. Um, and when it lost connection, it says, do you want to go back to the lobby and restart this chapter? Or do you want to wait for the other person to reconnect? So they reconnect. And what happens then, and it happened twice to us, is sometimes the game can kind of desynchronize and you don't know. You just can't solve the puzzle. Uh. So there was a bit where we were doing this like weird gate lifting puzzle and we were quite far into it. And then I realized, oh, we're just, we're just going in a circle here because the game is it's out of sync with itself so we can't finish ah. it but you don't know it so if anyone is listening to this and they decide to play this game which they should if they like puzzle games if your game loses connection just restart the chapter don't risk the fact that you might spend literally an hour trying to solve something that you can't yeah right. so really good co-op puzzler and it does feel quite unique big fan of it hope they bang out loads more i just wish yeah. the tone was darker okay there's a supernatural element i was saying to my brother that i really wish they would make a game like this with like kind of a horror theme or like mm. a full escape room theme that doesn't rely on like light fantastical elements yeah so but overall good except for poor error management 
when it comes yeah. to the connection. And, and quite unique as well, and quite and fun yeah. for the family. It's like it's kind of, you know, it's not. It, whilst little bits are spooky, it's no more um, dark than say Nightmare Before Christmas. So it's one you can play with the family as well. I do like these sorts of games where they're just completely embracing the fact that, you know, voice chat and stuff are standard nowadays. Sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. This sounds intriguing. Uh, what's it called again? We were here together. Right. So we are hurtling back after a brief break because Rupert had to feed his pet bearded dragon. Mm-hmm. And it is your time to shine, Rupert. So what have you got in the pipeline for us? I have uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Okie dokie. I've heard mixed things, as the French say about this. So, uh this i actually mentioned this on a previous state of play because i think i just started it and i played maybe an hour or something and i wasn't sure about it because it seemed a bit more kind of sprawling and unfocused like it seemed to have like side quests and stuff like that however i have now finished it so um so background is the original ori game which is ori and the blind forest um which must have brought between 2015 or something now, maybe even older. Um, it was, it's one of my favorite Metroidvanias. I think that Will of the Wisp, Will of the Wisps improves on it on virtually every level, having okay. finished it now. So, story wise, it covers similar beats, really. You're lost in this magical kingdom full of forests, swamps, caves, and creatures. And you're trying to save your friend. This time it's an owl. And ultimately, you're out to save the world itself by bringing this sacred light to the world tree to restore it. So it's pretty simple and straightforward. Not too much boring cutscenes and stuff. It just cracks on. Um, the game is absolutely gorgeous. Like it's it's kind of like if you imagine the Trine games. It's like that in its really kind of it's a highly detailed kind of cartoony yet tactile fantasy world and the colors are all kind of deep greens and purples and it's We've got both this played trying for uh trying for and the backgrounds in that game are some of those beautiful things i've ever seen it's amazing isn't it so it's, got pretty, the same yeah. thing. it's the same thing here where you've got that depth of vision thing where it's like it's a 2d game but you it it really gives a sense of a wider world beyond that 2d plane when you've got that richness of background if you see what yeah, i mean absolutely uh, it's amazing because you just see these huge hulking creatures kind of like move in the background and it really gives a sense of like a, a bigger world out there. So you play as Ori again, who's this little agile sprite with a white body and big black eyes, kind of cute. Uh, controls are pretty standard Metroidvania. You got like double jump, wall climbing, dashing. Later on, you re- acquire a triple jump plus this kind of jet boost thing. Uh, which happens in midair. So by the like some of the later levels, you're literally just hopping around the level without ever touching the ground. You're just sort of dashing um, all over the place. It's pretty cool. Nice. Um, the difficulty curve is perfect to ease you into the challenge of the later levels because it does get pretty tricky. But I do think overall it's marginally easier or at least less frustrating than Blind Forest was. Um, navigation is mostly pretty easy good uh you can you have a map 
And you can pick up all these side quests from various characters, though uh, it, it sounds like it could be a bit of a slog collecting side quests. But in reality, you just end up exploring the place, bumping into what you're meant to do anyway. And you do most of them pretty quickly. It's just go and collect whatever. And and then it it's clever it's cleverly designed enough that sort of the next section is only opened up once you have the correct ability anyway. So you're kind of it's kind of like you're exploring this section and it's not like you can then get lost massively in any other section. It's like, okay, once you've explored this section, you'll have the right thing to move on, sort of thing. So it's almost like an illusion of freedom, but it you you have all like map markers and stuff like that, so you're not fanning about trying to work out where you're gonna be. I never had, apart from that early bit after the first hour or so when I was just getting used to the kind of navigation in the game, I never had a situation where I was, you know, in the Metrovania games where you, you, you get to that point where you're looking at the map, the bits which aren't coloured in, and you think, oh, right, I'll go to that place and see if I can get through there. You basically you go have to there. backtrack through everything just to yes. see the one moment. And you, yeah, and you go there to that place and you're thinking, oh, yeah, I remember why I can't get over there because I haven't got this specific ability. Okay. But, yeah, and I never got into that situation. So that's very good for a Metrovania. And um, and also the quest marks is on, on the map. And the, you get uh, warp points as well, which are nicely spaced out. On top of this, they've removed the ability from the first game um, where you create your own save points. Now, I kind of liked that feature in the first game, whereas now it's just simply an autosave. Um, but it's they've kind of compensated for it because you never get pushed back more than maybe 30 seconds. So nice. hollow nice take note. Um, I would still recommend people play Blind Forest, even though this is better in basically every way. But Blind, Blind Forest is still really good. But this is just better in every way. It doesn't revolutionise anything really in terms of the genre or indeed anything from the first game um but it just improves everything by a significant margin and the only slight downside was that the game crashed a couple of times um it it, it seemed to happen when it was trying to load one of the cutscenes so very rare because there aren't many cutscenes and the thing is about the cutscenes is they're kind of embedded in the game engine so it'll like you'll be controlling it and then suddenly it'll like the camera will swoop in and it will go into a cutscene and it was like and because the whole game is effectively streamed there's no loading screens i think it just couldn't cope with that for whatever reason anyway it is one of the games which is going to be optimized for the xbox series x and of course it's on game pass so I will be playing through it again in 4K. <laughs> I was going to, well, you mentioned the, the crashing and stuff. I do remember when this came out, there was talk, I don't know if it was on certain systems, wherever, of it needing patches. Was that definitely yes. the case? Is that why you revisited it a, few, a little I, bit later on? Yeah, I wonder, if, <laughs> I wonder if I was playing the unpatched day one version. I, mean, I still don't think this, it shouldn't really be happening anyway, but at least apparently there was a day one patch which did fix the... Uh, any issues when it came to crashing and stuff but i still found the i mean it crashed early on once and it crashed late on once which isn't great but you know 
I can handle that. It's not quite Wasteland 3 territory. I was just looking at those words on my notes as you were on my list, rather, as you you said crashing. I thought I twitched. That's it now, isn't it? Every time. Is it as, does it crash as much as Wasteland 3? In that is it more crash than game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, so, um, Will of the Wisps. Very good. Bloody Love good. It. it does sound really good, actually. It sounds, I, I'm a big fan of those like very pretty... 2D platformers mm. with 3D depth to them. Good. Um, mm. I'm going to do two and, at once here, if if that's cool, really quickly. Yeah. Um, they're very different games. The first one is PGA Tour 2K21, um, which is, this is going to be super brief. It's basically the best golf game ever made. Um, what, what's okay? So that's that. Well, <clears throat> what I just it, without going into because I understand the golf isn't for everyone, but just as a brief, um, uh, what are they called? Of oh, this the I've forgotten the name of the again. I, I got this like back in August, but the the company, a Canadian company, took over the uh, took over the, the reins from uh, EA with their PGA Tour series uh, in in like the mid like 2014. I think the Golf Club came out, and then in 2018, Golf Club Two came out, and then now they've managed to wangle the PGA license. So now this is an officially licensed, like the officially licensed golf game, and. I have been a big fan of the, I forget the name of the company, it's like H2 Studios or something, the company that took over uh, the golf club. And mm. this is, now that they've got the PGA license, they're basically unstoppable because you've got the technical expertise and the precision and the simulatory mechanics put in place from the golf club and golf club too. And on top of that, you've got all the sponsorship, all the brands, mm. the clubs and stuff. It's just like the ultimate golfing experience. Um, I, so I'm not going to go into too much more depth beyond that because, again, these things are iterative when it comes to, to sports games. But well, That does sound like say, a marriage made in heaven, though, with those developers yeah, and that weight yeah, behind it, it's, it. it. It's like with EA games, they were, just, they were just churning them out and it was like it was very much the same game with like light touches every year. But the fact this studio obviously has come out as an independent studio and have got to the stage where they've got the license and taken over it. It's just great. I mean, I don't follow professional golf. My brother, Transvaal, does. So he was just saying it's really, that was the thing for him that was missing out of uh, the golf club one and two. It's like, oh, it's a shame they haven't got any like, you know, real life golfers and stuff. And of course now that's happened. It's just, you know, it's just, unless you get something totally different, like golf story. If you're, if you like golf games, just get PJ two and two K two one and shut up. Um, interestingly, there was there was a bit of an uproar recently uh, about they were bringing in this thing called uh, skins in golf is like you play um you know you play three holes or you play a course of eighteen and mm. you put a bet on and you say like um you know a dollar per hole or whatever you know you win the money goes back and forth blah 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 it looks like they're trying to do this with PG two or two K two one where they're bringing in like skins challenge where you can mm. bet real money <laughs> and you can play with someone else and um. And, and, you know, you say, OK, I'll bet you like five dollars, you know, we'll play three holes, low score wins. Now, when I heard that, I said, oh, that's cool. Because when I'm playing with Transvaal, if there's like real money on it and we put in like, I don't know, a few quid on, I would be super tense every time I'm doing a putt, which is and we play skins. We play golf in real life with each other, like, you know, 50 mm. quid a hole. Of course, I realized that not everyone is as responsible as I am when it comes to gambling. <laughs> so, I can understand. It's like, oh, that's cool because it adds an extra layer of like tension yeah. to things. And but at the same time, yeah, you know, is there uh, what kind of road yeah. is this going to go down? So um, that's full on. That is that's that's. I don't know. Is that is that count as gambling? 
I suppose if you're playing off each other, I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, well, you're still betting your skills against someone else, aren't mm. you? So. Yeah. And the next game I want to talk about is one that was a bit of a disappointment for me because I was really excited about it. It's a mm. game called No Straight Roads, mm. um, NSR. And this is a game that came out and uh, it was very much based on rhythmic uh, action. So the, the game is, again, this is one I had back in August, so I've, I've forgotten the names of the characters. But you're a, you're basically a guitarist and a drummer in this sort of, um, in this place called Vinyl City of, and mm-hmm. It's all about rock music uh, being sort of usurped by EDM music. And you're, you play this little band in this sort of quite not an alien landscape, and like a definitely an alternate reality where everything's kind of very anim- anime and kind of hyper-realized, if you're hyper-real. And it's got really tasty, colorful graphics. It's got a booming soundtrack. And, and a soundtrack so good that I did literally like think about buying it on vinyl. But of course, it's only available in America, and it's like 90 quid or something. Um, mm. Uh, and the whole thing about rock music against dance music, like it's kind of there for the fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's not like making right. a salient point or anything. It's not but literally the, just alienating half its audience. But <laughs> instantly, yeah. And then, like, saying rock music's better, but then you spend like two hours listening to pumping techno anyway. Yeah. Um, no, it's like <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I, I was bang up for this because when I read about it, the developer said, "Oh, this is going to be a game where." everything is tied to a rhythm. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the enemies will attack in a set in a set rhythm to a beat in the background. And then you kind of have to like time your attacks and stuff. And I thought, oh, that sounds quite cool because I, I don't mind rhythm games. Um, mm. And you can switch characters. One is like a, the guitar is like a slower, heavier attack and the drummer has two drumsticks, which are like faster, more combo driven attacks. All sounds good on paper, especially, and I will reiterate, the soundtrack is amazing. The problem is that the gameplay is just so thin because they bounce mm. around between different sort of genres. So you've got like um, the the main thrust of the game is like a like a th- uh, third person, quite zoomed out sort of platforming action sequences which end in boss battles. The problem is the camera you have absolutely no control over. It while it kind of drifts and floats behind you, it's it's completely uncontrollable. Like one thumbstick moves your character and you can flick between them. The second thumbstick does nothing. So okay. having no control over this character, I cannot explain how much of a pain in the arse it is when you come to platforming sections when right. it's like the camera's so shallow and you're thinking, right, I can see platforms in front of me moving back and forth but I can't really plan this jump because I just need to tilt the camera a bit and I can't. Um, and then when it gets to the boss battles, because it's got this kind of um, over-the-top, very Japanese sort of, you know, that kind of half-shouted, high-pitched um, mm. girl thing, which is fine. It does work in, in the context of the game. It's not too grating. But when the camera, the bosses are quite big and impressive. So when the camera zooms out, your characters are tiny and you lose all sense of control over them because you're so far away mm. from the action. And then there's an over, really weirdly thrown in overworld hub thing where it's not mm. even an overworld. It's like an explorable part of the city where you collect, uh, I think they're batteries or fuses or something to, to unlock separate parts. But it's just you walking around what feels like a kind of PS, this is on the Switch, on like a PS2 level, really clunkily controlled open world bit where you can just jump up uh, platforms and climb over rooftops. Oh my and stuff. God. Really linearly locked off just collecting stuff with no like enemies Ooh. there and then you've got another level of the game which is 
like a almost you know like a fallout shelter side on your bunker yeah. is on the ground and you've got all these different rooms you can go to and collect unlockables and upgrade your weapons and stuff and it all feels like it's just too much thrown in it, it i just i was just yeah. thinking you really need and the problem is as well with the whole thing with the enemies bouncing in rhythm it, it does lose that apart from the bosses you often move outside of the rhythm of the game to the enemies. So the enemies yeah. will pulse, but that's not matched to the music. And I thought if you stripped everything out of this game, apart from that quite neat mechanic and really focused on it, I would be having a very different, much more positive experience. But it just feels like it's spread out over too many different little mini bits and genres, and it ended up yeah. just not working in any of them, apart from the music, which is awesome. Yes, that sounds like they really needed to stop adding features and focus yeah. on... The core gameplay, really. When I was walking around collecting batteries, which could easily just be scattered in the actual levels themselves, if you know what I mean, just mm. scattered around in the end. It's got like yeah. an, entirely se- an entirely separate part of the game where you just walk around the street just collecting stuff. And it's like, this is here to artificially extend the game. There's no other reason for it. Why couldn't you, why couldn't that be integrated into the like main gameplay of you collecting this stuff? Uh, as in like as in you know you you can collect the stuff if you're willing to take take risks or whatever yeah again i think it's so the fact that you can't control the camera is such a problem and it's such a basic problem that just permeates through the entire game it's like like you said they they just focus on so many aspects of gameplay and kept adding things that nothing is focused and even basic things like why don't you take out that entire section of the game that really does need to exist put it in the actual game yeah i don't know why that decision was made Mm. so that's disappointing that's no straight roads no straight roads yeah okay I'll talk about Super Mario 3D All-Stars on Switch. I have, I mean, obviously I've played these games before, but uh, it is, it's Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, and uh, Mario Galaxy, um, on which were originally on Nintendo 64, GameCube, and Wii, uh, respectively. I've, I haven't got to Galaxy this time around yet, I've been playing Mario 64 and Mario Sunshine. Mm-hmm. Um, can you invert the controls in Mario Sunshine? I'm not sure whether you can invert them, but I was going to come to that. They do seem to have fixed the cameras in 64 and Sunshine to a great extent. I wouldn't say they're perfect still, but... With, the, really that is, what I mean is with Sunshine, the reason I couldn't play yeah. it on GameCube is because you push up and the camera goes down. I think I read somewhere, and I didn't really understand what they were saying, but I read somewhere that the sunshine camera has been fixed because it has been inverted or something like that. So I guess that's what they must be talking about. Anyway, it feels right to me in okay. a way that it didn't feel right before. Um, but that is really the only difference in these games from the original releases, I, although the resolutions have been bumped up um, to like 1080p. So... But yeah, they haven't. It's not a remake or anything like that. These are the original games. You, other than that, you, other than the three games, you get the soundtracks on there. But yeah, other than that, it's just these games. So Mario sixty four is a game I played to death back in the nineties, and because it was because it was mid nineties, and it is hard to overemphasize how massive a leap the game was. 
both technically and conceptually from like the 2D Mario to 3D. In fact, it is, I would say, I'd go further than that. I'd say it's nearly impossible to uh, imagine it really because when you go back and play it now, it does feel quite clunky, to be honest. Um, and it isn't to do with the movement of the character himself because Nintendo famously spent like a year perfecting the way he moves and that. It's more about the quality of life features i mean the camera still isn't perfect um the enemies can be awkward to attack in 3d the level structure and the rewards and punishments um so the setting of mario 64 is peach's castle uh which is craftily a little tutorial so you get to kind of explore it and climb and jump around and swim in that and you go through these magic paintings to uh get to what are essentially a series of different playgrounds and each time you enter the playground, the level, you, you'll have a different objective, which will utilize a different part of the level. So one time you might have to climb to the top of a tower and defeat a boss. And then next time you might have to search for eight hidden coins. And um, I'm guessing it's to do with hardware restraints from the time that they couldn't put all of these objectives into the levels, if you see what I mean, all at once. Mm. So and. And because this is, of course, how Mario Odyssey works, is that everything's in the level and you just go and do it. And you, you just do have one... to discover it, yeah. Yeah, you just go around exploring and just to complete the tasks. Um, but in this, what happens is that you will enter the level and you'll have a specific task and then you'll go and do that. And if you succeed, then you get um, the star sort of thing. And then you're booted out of the level. You have to go back into it again to then choose a different task to do. And it is a very archaic system. And if you combine that with the fact that you have limited lives, um, which is also archaic, even by that point, really, and it, it does kind of hobble both Mario 64 and Sunshine, both have this issue. Because if you lose a life, which is quite possible given the insta-death nature of some of the platforming you get to do, you are booted back out of the level and you, then you have to re-enter the arena. So then if you lose all your lives, because you don't get that many lives, it's quite hard to get extra lives. You lose all your lives. You're actually just dumped right back at the start of the game. Okay, everything's unlocked still, but you then have to make your way back into the, the castle, back into the painting. It's quite a frustrating gameplay loop, which I imagine would piss off modern gamers quite badly. <laughs> um I mean, Nintendo clung on to the limited lives thing for years. I mean, even 3D World. Super Mario 3D World, the best Mario game. Even that has them. And they became less and less relevant as time went on, really. The whole idea of Game Over, it's literally irrelevant in 3D World because the punishment for losing all your lives is the same as the punishment for losing one life. So it's totally pointless. Anyway, so then there's Sunshine, and this is much the same structurally, as I've explained, except this time Mario is he's on holiday on Delfino Island, which is the hub world. But it's been, it's basically shrouded in darkness, in shadow. And so you're trying to collect sunshine sprites to bring sunshine back to the place. The Delfino Island is more vibrant than Mario 64's castle. There's a lot more, you know, NPCs and stuff around. But the same basic structure remains. You do keep re-entering these worlds to do these tasks. This time you have something called Flood. Can't remember what that means. It's it's an acronym, but it's a device basically that fires water. It can be used as a gun 
to clean off this evil shadowy goo or it can be used as a way of hovering over gaps the controls in super mario sunshine are maddening at times <laughs> especially when you're trying to aim your cannon your water cannon um as i mentioned they do seem to have tidied up the camera in this as they did with 64 but there are still times just because of the nature of the level design where you'll be trying to spin the camera, but it, it will be blocked by some architecture somewhere. And it's like, <laughs> this is pixel perfect, perfect platforming I'm trying to do here. So, um, yeah. And there's these, oh, like there's these really tedious sequences where you, you're meant to chase this, this shadow version of Mario across town. Um, and, the idea is, is that you chase them across town and you use kind of like all the moves, like the parkour moves to like jump up buildings and stuff. And that really draws attention to the limits of the camera and oh, the fussiness right, okay. of the controls. So the difficulty level in Sunshine is all over the shop um, because some quests are really simple. You just like climb a tower or whatever. But then other times they'll be, it would just be a really, really painstaking ordeal of pixel perfect <laughs> jumping. So it's it feels pretty unbalanced uh, in terms of difficulty. And overall, I think it feels like with Sunshine, Nintendo refined some aspects of, of Mario 64, but they also overcomplicated it in other ways because, and the flood system, this water kind of thing, really now playing it from the perspective we are now, it just seems like a much less fun version of the paint guns in Splatoon, frankly. <laughs> And it, it's really awkward to use and not that much fun. And yeah, so it it's Luckily, probably... it's not a vital selling part of the game. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's... It probably is a better game than Mario 64, like seeing it from a modern perspective, but there's still quite a lot of straight. And it's, and it's definitely not... Sunshine is not the massive leap that Mario Galaxy was just a few years later, because that that really was when it became something that you could imagine a modern gamer just being able to jump into. I think modern gamers would struggle if they'd never played Mario 64, if they didn't have the nostalgia factor. Mario 64 and Mario Sunshine might be feel awkward, I would say. So, yeah. Oh, That's it. But I'm looking forward to getting back into Mario Galaxy because I love it. Oh, I've never played the. You are far more of a Mario aficionado than myself. There are games that Mario games I tend to play in like multiplayer only, so the sort of purely single player stuff really passed me by. Um, uh, I will talk about Descenders, um, which how many have you got left? Sorry. I'm just just one more for me. Nice. Okay. Well, I'll call this my last one then, because otherwise I'll just be talking for a thousand years, and I'll, I'll chat the rest of the next week. Uh, so yeah, Descenders. Um, I wasn't expecting to like this game as much as I did. It was it's a a sort of downhill BMX game with procedurally generated tracks that I played on the PS4. I think it's available on Xbox, Switch, and PC as well. Um, the 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 whole selling point of it being is is the fact it is procedurally generated so you never really get the same track twice and i whenever i hear the words procedural and generation i worry i worry deeply because i think is that another word for lazy and development (laughs) 
but <laughs> in in this case it actually does really work it so the game is that it, when i first played it for review it was i felt like it was um a little like the frame rate was a bit off uh, and and I thought it just feels like it wasn't it didn't quite like relax for my eyes if you know what I mean, and then I happened to I went back to it a week later to sort of do it properly and I don't know if they've patched it but it seems much smoother now, so if you did originally play this it, it has been patched I think I'm playing it on a mm. basic a base PS4, and um, yeah it's it's got this really weird um, accessibility to it. And, and a real openness to all kind of play styles. So the whole game mm. is p- pure downhill biking in through four sort of biomes. The first one is like highlands, and the second one is a forest, and the third one is kind of a more rocky, deserty one. And I've, I have not gone to the fourth one yet. Um, but the whole, the whole thing about going downhill all the time, um, it's got this pumping sort of like dance soundtrack, mm. uh, but which never stops really cleverly. Um, when you sort of come off your bike or when it loads, it goes up the menu, whatever, the music will just keep going and flowing into the next song naturally. So you constantly have this really kinetic, like almost it gets you in the zone sort of thing because every song has just got like a really solid 4-4 beat. Um, How the game works is you've got a boss jump effectively to get to. So the controls are really intuitive. You've got the the left thumbstick kind of tilts your bike and the right thumbstick kind of... Yanks you around the corners, so you can use that in mm. tandem with the braking, and you really feel like you've got full control, and you can do stunts in the air and stuff, which give you points, so you can then unlock stuff. But everything you unlock is purely cosmetic, so it's not like you're boosting your bike up to to do whatever. Everything you unlock is purely cosmetic, so it's purely based on skill to pro- proceed, progress. Sorry, which is mm. really nice because when you the sort of random elements are thrown in, and when you're cha- choosing your next um, track to do and it's split into I'm trying to think of the four things it's like uh, it's like how steep it is how many stunts there are how many obstacles there are and uh, like how sharp the turns are so of course yeah. when you're in the highlands and it's all open and you're just like going down through like sticking on the path that's fine but then if you've got one that's got really narrow sharp curves and you're in the forest <laughs> and you're like <laughs> pounding at like 50 miles an hour between trees you're like oh my god it's really weirdly like tense you just think like a single twitch and you just come hurtling off and if you've got um if you lose all of your you've got like a heartbeat thing at the top and if it drops from uh like sort of you know five to zero then you just get kicked back to the very start but again it's not too punishing because if you progress through to like the next stage, I think it's three times, you unlock the ability to start at that. Bar. So you're not, it's not like oh, I'm back to the start of the whole game now. Yeah. Um, yeah, really big fan of that. Really big fan of the fact that you can, when you finish a race with certain little mini, it gives you like a scrolling random mini sort of side quest, and it's like, okay, get to your top speed, and if you get to the top speed, a tick comes up, and you unlock a little bonus, like it might be an extra life, or it might nice. be a part of your team that allows the path to be wider on the track, so it's just easy to go down. It is addictive, and it's just. <laughs> the fact that like i'm playing it and even very often when i play a game and i play it enough to review it play it, and then i like just because we've got stuff coming in all the time i'll move on to something else it's a game that is always on my and i'm like oh, let's do a couple of races and it's just constantly exhilarating this like really sort of dancey light music it's not too full-on and also you can just ignore the track if you're just what if you because it's not it's basically to be played for fun there are online competitive modes and like a little stunt arena mm-hmm. thing but if you're like say oh 
I've got to a bit that I, I just can't do. I can't make these jumps or these stents. You can just turn off the path and just go down the hill like really slowly, avoiding everything, and just cross the line at the end. It'll still act like you finished it. So <laughs> it's really amazing. nicely it's really nicely open to like all skill levels. I really like it, and uh, yeah, it's just I think it's one that'll always be on my hard drive to be honest. Cause it's it's not a big game, but it's oddly zen-like and relaxing to play. So uh, I think I yeah, need to play this. It's yeah, it's weirdly fun. Uh, I don't think there's any split-screen multiplayer, sadly, but um, that, that's mm. not really a problem because I would play it just to relax for ten, fifteen minutes, you know, just to like listen yeah. to music and just have a few fun runs. So yeah, it's a, it's a really fun game. And that's, that's called Descenders. 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 Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check this out, Alex. That sounds good. That sounds really intriguing. I I love those games where it's like, in real life, I've got no interest in it sort of thing i've got no attachment to that sport or whatever mm. and yet when i play it i play a video game of it and it's just amazing it's kind of like racing games like, i have no interest in cars in real life but i love racing games and i know I, I, I know what you mean about that kind of zen thing that you get to and it's almost yeah it's almost like you're an autopilot but he's clearly using his skills sort of thing it's just active it almost like you feel like you're activating a different part of the brain it's weird yeah that. I, what i'll really what i'll quickly do actually because i realize that i've got f- i can quickly do three in like a couple of minutes if that's cool and that'll tick off yeah. while we're in the racing zone so i happen to review four like literally one after the other so i'll really quickly go through them so descenders was that the first mm. one i thought this is great this is great the second one i had was hotshot racing which is like a, a low polygon sort of super fast 60 fps uh, arcade racer in in the vein of something like um it, it, it's kind of a cross between like uh i'm trying to think of an example now like drift racing mm. uh boosting and, and also that sort of visuals of what was that game that they really Virtual racing yes yeah um it, it has visual references to a lot of these games as well. In this, like you know, the the, the uh, one of the tracks has the rolling uh, fruit machine wheels of Daytona, that kind of thing, uh, and the helicopter in Sega Rally. It's really good. I this I think it's up to four player split screen, and I played it through. Uh, uh, there's uh, there's only like I say there's only it's a lower priced game. There's only sixteen tracks, but it's very much about like um, completing it with different characters. You can unlock bits mm. for your cars, and you know. Um, it's really, really solid arcade racer. Um, it's so it's so satisfying. And it's got these really interesting AI where, I don't know if it's like rubber banding, but it, it gives you, like I was playing with Faye and obviously I'm much more adept, well not obviously, but I am much more adept at racing games than, than Faye is. But what was happening was it was like, when I was out in front and I was constantly battling between say the, the podium positions, mm. Faye may be like, a little bit behind and have like a bad crash sort of thing. There's no crash damage. You just you know, hit the sides and then you have to kind of sort yourself out again. But it's not really that kind of game. It's more about speed and, and smoothness. But she always had a few people around her as well. Mm. So it's not like, oh, we're all up ahead. And if someone's yeah. got a bit of a different skill set, they've got nothing to, they're just like hanging around. Oh, that's cool. So it's almost like you may be in like out of the 10 cars, you may be like seventh or eighth, but there's always some, it's really naturally always someone there to kind of mm. keep keep you in the race and keep you focused. And I really like that. Again, it's just the accessibility to different skill levels. So uh, yeah, another, that was really good. Another one I had on that sort of same wavelength was a really neon drenched synth game called Initial Drift, which, right. which 
was very much something I didn't think I would get on board with, but it was it turned out to be really, really intuitive. So this is a this is a game that has no crash mechanics. It's got this ridiculous story with a load of basically hipsters in in these like sports cars racing it's just the narrative can be ignored pretty much because what it's all about is what happens on the track so if you imagine you've got um you can turn left and right but it's kind of incremental so you're going like really fast when you make contact with another car there's usually just you and another car on the different races you just literally kind of just pass through it 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 Mm. does this cool like visual effect almost like you're both holograms but and I realized, I thought, well, that's a bit silly. That why can't I just clown into another car and fishtail him and pass him like I do in every other game that I play, <laughs> really cheaply? But then I realized it's a game that's pure skill. So it's all about having a perfect run around a track. And again, yeah. it's so tense and addictive when you're going like top speed, coming into these really uh, what what are they called the um the chicanes and stuff um mm. and you've got like the left stick sort of controls like i said just left and right but then the right stick yanks your car and gets into some really tasty drifting so nice. there's no like there's no boosts there's no like slipstreaming it's like there is in in, uh, in hot shot racing it's purely mm. about it's you and the computer or an online player and it's just about having that perfect lap and that again is really addictive is it when you say neon drinks is it like something like wipeout or something or is it it's it's, cars. it's like a sort of a, a like a retro futuristic sort of racer so it's cars oh. like sort of sports cars that are like bright colors on like usually these like night night tracks with um yeah. like you know like the the lights kind of bleed through the screen kind of thing yeah. so it, it is, and the it synth, is uh, synth music as well yeah yeah instrumental synth stuff oh, absolutely fine. this is this is touching me in my special place. <laughs> yeah, I would I would play it online with you happily. It's uh, it's available. I've played it on Switch, but it's on PS4 and Xbox. And I I gave it to Chris when he came over, obviously months ago, and um, he was playing it, and he was like, "This is really, this is like really again." I I'll use the word Zen, where you're just like you have to focus. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just a, inertial it's inertial drift. Inertial drift, yeah. And the control scheme is really tasty. And finally, the last thing I'll talk about for this podcast is a game called Mini Motor Racing X. And this ties into something else that I've, I have an ongoing um, fixation on, are these kind of toy top-down racing games. I've, I've played some really bad ones. And, you know, you've got stuff like Micro Machines in the 16-bit era and 32-bit. But Mashed is my like go to like that is the best top down racer i've ever played mashed on the ps2 slash xbox and i constantly play these games whenever they get sent to me because i'm determined to find another one and this one was so close to being the perfect game um so this is a like i said a kind of really cartoony bright top down eraser well at least i thought it was so you're playing it the track the laps last like the entire race is last like a minute and a half where you're kind of clattering it round with like 10 other cars around these narrow tracks bounce kind of like iron man's off-road that kind of level of racing you know bouncing around the sort of tracks and you know, on a beach mm. or uh you know on a high motorway sort of thing and i was playing it and i thought this is quite cool actually you know it's quite nippy and you have there's dozens of cars and loads of different uh different decals and stuff like the, the van in it can you can make it look like the turtles van or the a-team van all these like fun little things, loads of unlockables. And I didn't realize that how many viewpoints there were. And really cleverly, the view in the game changes the genre. So 
you can have it as like a pure top-down racer, which is, you know, cool. And then I changed the view and it was like, okay, now it's an isometric kind of thing. Oh, that's quite neat. And then I pressed it again and it was a third-person thing. I was like, oh, this is cool. I can do a lot of it. And then it was a first-person thing. And then it was first-person in the car, as if you can hold in the wheel steering it. I was like, this is amazing. It's like a load of different games in one. It's 60 FPS, rock steady, up to four players. It's got like a local co-op sort of campaign mode. You can go through everything together. And then I hit the problem with it. It mm. is, it is has its roots in mobile gaming. So it's clearly just been, it's an amazing game. Like mechanically, it is a great little arcade racer, but you can really see where it's had the artificial paywall removed. And you yeah. play like eight, 10 races, having fun. All of a sudden the race starts and you just cannot keep up with anyone. Like you, you actually cannot you have no chance of finishing. And I realized, oh, right, you say there's 60 tracks in this game, but I'm going to be playing the first four for two hours, trying to get enough money to boost up my car to do the rest of them. And it feels like they've just chucked in this really artificial, gr- repetitive grind in a game that should be really breezy and arcade and fun. And oh it killed it. it. It did. It's really good. And then that just killed it for me. I play it in multiplayer, but I, the single player mode really did break it a bit for me. What's that called again? Mini Motor Racing X. Mm. So close to being like one of the top games of the year. Um, and that are my four races. So there's, you know, if you like arcade racing, you've got Hotshot Racing. If you like skill-based stuff, you've got Inertial Drift. If you like toy stuff, you've got Mini Motor Racing X. And if you want something a bit different and you like your bike in, you've got Descenders. So that is me done. They all sound pretty good. It was a good I've one. already added Inertial Drift to my wish list on eShop. Yeah, but there was. I will say that with that, um, there weren't the comments I read about it was that there weren't there weren't like that many tracks. But I think again, it's very much a game about getting very good and just yeah. like mastering the things there. So it's not like about loads of unlockables and you know. But yeah, I, I really like it, and I can imagine it would be tense in two-player mode. Um, Doom Eternal is where I'll finish. I am intrigued by this, by the way, because mm. I've installed this and I haven't right. played it yet. So go on then. Uh, did you play Doom 2016? Yes, if you remember, Doom 2016 I played and I said to you, oh, I've got up against this certain boss, you have to jump and it pulls up these like pulse waves and I, I couldn't do it and I got a bit pain in the ass and I stopped and you said, Brett, that's the final boss. <laughs> like, oh, all right. So yes, I'm familiar with 2016. Good. Uh, yeah, I loved Doom 2016 mostly mostly for its singular focus um and its lack of sort of extraneous mechanics um with that in mind i think i'd hesitate to recommend eternal quite as quickly however i have only played maybe 10 to 12 hours of it which is a lot sounds a lot but it seems pretty massive it seems like there's a lot more into maternal yeah wow okay Uh, yeah so so the setting this time is hell on earth basically um uh which effectively means it's the setting is it is sort of a partly industrialized futuristic-ish post-apocalyptic earth aesthetically it reminds me of the darksiders games actually with sort of humanity on its knees while gross monsters roam the wastes um the gunplay still feels really meaty and the traversal during the combat feels really fluid and swift and it it does hold 60 fps pretty well um 
there are many different controls in this game. You have your basic fire, you have special fire with two options per gun. You got melee, you got glory kill, you got chainsaw, you've got this little flamethrower thing, which I don't think I've ever used. Um, do you have grenades as well? You might even have grenades. I'm not sure. Anyway. And then each monster has very specific weak spots, um, basically, which offer ridiculous damage, almost to the point where you could kill them instantly if you get the right spot. But also, some of the monsters are vulnerable to specific weapons. So, for example, you have like these shield guys who are very vulnerable to like plasma rifles. So then you've got weapon choice is another aspect that you have to control. Um and so you're not, you can't just use whatever weapons you have ammo for, sort of thing. And so you think about all, all of that, right? All of these different controls that you've got. And then on top of that, you've got weak spots. And then on top of that, you've got specific weapons for different bad guys. And it sounds kind of overwhelming, but I kind of realized that in a way, what Doom Eternal is, it's, it's, it's a shooter with the sensibility of a fighting game. So because basically you're constantly coming up with kind of moves and counter moves to on the fly to kind of get one over on your opponents. And it's also almost like a resource resource management type game. So because ammo is ridiculously limited and you can't stockpile it. So the only really effective way of replenishing your ammo is with the chainsaw. It really pushes you to use the chainsaw because um, use that on an enemy. It will um, give you a load of ammo, basically. Even this resource is um, not infinite. So, because harder baddies need more chainsaw fuel, for example. So then you've got this other tactical element. It's like, do you chainsaw the one big bad guy or do you chainsaw three little ones? So there are all these little micro decisions you're making all the time. And it can feel quite overwhelming and it can feel a bit frustrating. And I think if you play it as a simple, straightforward shooter, if you play it like the original game, to be honest, then it will feel very unfair. And yet, I don't think it is unfair. I think it's just, it requires a different mindset. I think the point where it starts, if not crossing the line, should we say, but definitely approaching the line, uh, is when the it's the mechanics that occur outside of the action. Because that was all stuff that happens in-game when you're shooting at stuff, fine. There are a load of cutscenes in this game, and that is interesting. When you consider, remember that bit in the 20, Doom 2016 near the start where you look at a, video, a TV screen and someone starts trying to tell you like backstory and stuff, and you like punch the screen away and say, I don't know. It's the game. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. But it's like, have they forgotten that? Because. Really, I mean, the cutscenes here are separate from the main gameplay, unlike in 2016 where they're kind of in-game uh, interludes. But here, it's like they kind of figured that... It's almost like they figured that 50% of players are going to skip them anyway, and that is exactly what I did. I have no idea what's going on in the plot of this game. I skipped the cutscene as soon as it comes up. So but uh, so that's skippable, so that's not so, so much of a problem. I'd say more problematic are the various upgrade systems, because... I still haven't got my head around the upgrade system in this game even yet. I seem to be collecting various kind of suit points and weapon points and upgrade points and runes. And it takes some micromanagement. And yes, it is dull. So 
And then a lot of that stuff is kind of explained between levels in a hub level. And this is amazing to me that they, they this is a doom game where you have a it's like a hub place. It's, it's basically a spaceship above Earth. And you've got this sort of hub where you just go to chill out and upgrade and explore, um, choose your level stuff. You know, this is stuff which is very new to the kind of doom experience. And, and it's big and it's kind of sprawling and it's sterile and it's yet another place that I'm not shooting things. And between these cutscenes and the menus and this hub, the moments are piling up, you know, um, yeah. where I felt like it's a, it feels like a bunch of crap added afterwards, basically, to satisfy broader consumer expectations, if you see what I mean. Ooh. Like, like, because if you just take the actual core gameplay and just had that, um, then, which pretty much was with Doom 2016, then yeah. it's, it's fine, but then you've got all this kind of extraneous stuff on top, and it doesn't feel like it's really baked into the designer's concept as such. But, oh, and also there are these slightly tedious um, platforming sections. Oh, I knew uh, it. I knew you'd say there was first-person platforming. <laughs> because there was a bit in Doom 2016, but it was kind of few and far between, and really it was quite simple because all you had to do was jump or double jump. Okay. In this, you've got bits where you have to, like, double jump. You can jump, double jump. You can dash in midair, and you can grab onto certain walls, So, which is really clunkily handled. And... <laughs> quite awkward in in first person and so you get these quite elaborate puzzle sequences where it's like okay where do i go now oh i've got to jump up here and then i've got to turn around double jump over there all that kind of stuff this sounds like the worst aspect of crackdown 3 yeah uh it's it's not great those parts but if you can get past all of that stuff eternal is is a really good game Although I get the feeling that maybe I'm just loving the bits which were like the first game, as in the 2016 game. Yeah. Uh, I So I can't recommend it as strongly or swiftly as that game. But because it just hasn't has, doesn't have that purity and focus. Um, but the saving grace is the combat, which, which feels genuinely deep. And I, I think that all that extra stuff, all the extra controls and tactical elements in the combat, I think it will be something that I can get on board with after a while it's just the other extraneous 12 stuff that... hours in though rupert well i don't know hours. it's probably more like 10 to be fair and oh. i'm the kind of person who is always I, i'm constantly searching for secrets so um yeah and plus there are places where i got genuinely stuck because i'm like i've got to work out a puzzle here i've got to shoot this switch then jump over here and dash over here, grab this wall, you know. Boring. I'm bored with you saying it because the, the, the whole thing about Doom 2016 was the whole thing about pushing all the nonsensical law to one side. Yeah. And I like the idea it was all going on around him and he was just like this force of nature powering through. It was like the appeal. Yeah. You want to go to a spaceship and have a pump. Yeah. You want to just like get straight back in there and just like start firing double yeah. barrel shotguns and kick the rest of your guns in, off a cliff. <laughs> yeah exactly um yeah so it is hard as well it is hard really yeah. hard but i don't I, i'm gonna try this because it's on game I, pass so i think give it a go I, skip the cutscenes, give it a go uh yeah uh, you know because it still feels good 
when you're in the game, when you're not in a bloody menu, then yes, it feels good. So I I would I I will return to speak more of this once I because I will probably finish it. Yeah. Even if it is I, I will as well. I will. I've got a few things on the go at the moment. Obviously, I'm playing um, Agatha Christie's The ABC Murders with Hercule Poirot, and I've just been sent. Um, what is it? Uh, this is the Zodiac speaking, and I've got a few others on the go. But Doom Eternal is there, and it's only mm. just been added, so I'll I'll, I'll I'll come to it at some point. So we yeah. come to that. We come to that moment in the podcast where we 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 had to talk about our, our games of the podcast GOTP, um, <laughs> and I've got a lot here. <laughs> and, yes. And there are certain ones I really like. Like I, I really like how brazen lust from beyond Scarlet was. I did like the intrinsic fun of Kandagawa Jack Girls. I loved the co-op aspect of We Were Here Together. Wasteland Three isn't <laughs> going to be game of the week. And I, I think the two I'm torn between uh, would be P- I'll, I'll, PJ Tour Two K Two One is obviously a game that I'm going to play literally every oh, few God. weeks for yeah until the next one comes out because that's how these things work. I would I would like to have said No Straight Roads is Game of the Week, and whilst all the racing is really good, I think the one for me that is stands out is Hot Shot Racing because Faye was completely on board, and we kind of finished like the the story mode together, yeah, uh, and, and that was really nice. So I'll, there's a lot of good contenders here, but I'll say uh, Hot Shot Racing is the is the game of the podcast for me. Good, good, yes. Um, well, I'm gonna say Ori and the Will of the Wisps because. It is a sequel to one of my favourite Metroidvanias, and it's better, so therefore it's one of my favourite Metroidvanias. <laughs> All right, uh, okay. Yeah, love it. Yeah, definitely. What about and, this? The thing is, it's just a pussy version of Hollow Knight, isn't it, really? Yeah, exactly. You don't get massively punished for dying. <laughs> so therefore, it's it's not for a core gamer like you. <laughs> core gamer? Uh, yeah, so what have you got, apart from obviously finishing Doom Eternal, what have you got on the menu for the next couple of days? Uh, well, I'm gonna. I think I, I'll probably try and plow through Sunshine. I really want to crack on with Mario Galaxy, to be honest, because I do love that game. And uh, yeah, and yeah, that's all I've got really at the moment. Let's just see what else is on Game Pass really after that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, see what I'm going to click on next. Yeah. yeah. Right then. Well, it's been a long one today. I've been sat in yeah, this chair in a dark epic. room for six hours, but that's how we roll. <laughs> that's how we get things done. That's how we get the sponsors. So, uh, yeah, I, well, I shall love you and leave you, and we'll have to do this again soon. I've still got a few to tick off. Yeah, right. There'll be sequels up by the time we get around to it. Well, it's been a pleasure. As always, I shall speak to you soon. Farewell, my dove. Bye then.